Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to the summer of 2021, and welcome to Artifice episode 100. What? I'm so excited. I cannot even believe it. It's like, I do, do I ever tell you guys how much time it is? It's a lot of time. Now, don't get me wrong. It's time that I love, love spending. This project is one of my favorite things of my life so far, but boy, it is a lot of time and 100 episodes feels like a huge accomplishment. And, you know, not even just the time, but like thinking about the fact that I've had 100 beautiful conversations with amazing creative people. That's really something. And um, they're here. You can listen to all of them. Um, today's guest is someone that I'm so, so excited about. Drew Nichols has been my friend since I was a small child. And more importantly, we have been creating art together since we were small children. And we're both still doing it now, which feels kind of precious to me. And when I realized that um, I had, you know, the 100th episode coming up, I, I, you know, kind of went through my mind of like, who should I talk to? And I, I thought about reaching out to some, you know, I don't know, like semi-famous people that I hadn't met before. And I just felt like, you know, the thing that I really want to do is interview Drew. Um, and so I, I reached out to him and if he, of course he said yes. And, um, it was so nice to catch up. We haven't talked, um, with our actual voices in several years. We talk um, online sometimes, but it was so nice to talk with him and, and you guys are going to love this conversation. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Drew in just a minute, but first I want to catch you up on some news. Um, the biggest, most exciting thing is that, um, I'm almost done recording this new album. I'm still not ready to tell you guys the title or kind of, you know, more broadly what the subject matter is, but, um, but it's, it's happening and it's sounding really really good. It's really different from masks and it's super, super different from embark. But, um, you know, I played a live show a couple of weeks ago and just as kind of an experiment, I played, uh, songs from all three albums and, you know, next to each other with the same kind of live instrumentation, I still feel like they all kind of sound like, like me. Um, but from like a production and kind of like studio version standpoint, this new stuff is real different. Um, and not only am, are we almost done recording it, but I have started to release some things. So, um, I can't remember if I already talked about this with you guys, but back in April, I, uh, I recorded and, and filmed three live performance videos to kind of use, um, you know, as like teasers for this album. So um, basically one is coming out in June, like right now, um, one is coming out in July and then one in August. And then, um, you know, I'll kind of really start uh, releasing the studio versions and kind of uh, pumping up the album in earnest. Um in September and, and it's, it's, uh, the first track is coming out in October. Um, but the first, uh, live performance video, I released it to my mailing list last week. Um, and it'll, it'll be, and I released some like, uh, screenshots from the video publicly. Um, but the entire video is going to be out for the public, I think on June 9th, I'm like pretty sure about that date. So, um, so I'm telling you all of this because in a 
in a couple more weeks, I will be releasing the next of the videos um, to privately to just my mailing list. So if you if you want to be getting stuff early, sign up for the mailing list. Um, they get they get stuff early, and they also get stuff that I never release publicly. So um, so if you like the kinds of things I'm working on, then make sure you do that. Hmm. Other news. Um, the mask mandate is over for anybody who's vaccinated, which means we have been playing gigs and I have been seeing friends and going to restaurants and it feels pretty great. It feels like really pretty great. And I hope that you, whoever you are, wherever you are, are also feeling fantastic and excited and that the summer is really looking up for you. So um, I think that's all the news. There's going to be more and more stuff coming out. I'm going to release the the title of the album soon. Soon. Pretty soon here. Okay, it's time. I'm going to tell you about Drew. Drew Nichols is an artist who believes that challenge and delight lead us to joy. So far, that's led him to write and play musical theater. Going forward, he's working on expanding systems and resources for narrative media, connecting creators more directly with collaborators and audiences. And it's a pretty short little bio, but Drew is incredible. Um, one of my favorite people in the whole world. And you guys will definitely get to know him better and hear some of his, you know, biggest highlights and biggest project projects and um just you know beautiful expansive philosophies coming up in this episode so i'm so excited to introduce you to my friend drew and to present you with the 100th episode of the artifice podcast enjoy great art almost feels like magic it opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. This is very exciting. I was thinking, you know, 100 episodes feels like a big deal, especially for a podcast that's, you know, usually 90 minutes long. Um, and uh, I was thinking, like, what should I do for, like, episode 100? And I was thinking about all the artists that I know. And I was like, you know, the only the only choice here is Drew. <laughs> I'm honored. Yeah. So for the listener, I mean, I, I wanted to interview Drew for a lot of reasons, but the the maybe kind of most special reason is that we have known each other since we were like little tiny kids. Indeed. We did theater uh, workshops. Yes, we did. So, um so I thought like, you know, it'd be fun just, you know, this podcast like the things that I talk about are like, you know, what are our creative origins and uh, you know, how's our creative development and we we I feel like we've both like kind of just watched each other go through all those things. Um so I, I usually start with my guests by asking, what were you like as a creative child? Like what, what were kind of like the, the earliest clues that that's where your brain was going? Um, so I didn't see it for many years as like a professional thing. It was just like my life. Mm -hmm. um, but I started at age four. I was doing puppet shows for the neighborhood kids, um, would gather them all in our carport and I'd, I had all these stuffed animals and puppets that I mostly made out of paper bags. 
Uh, and then I would walk around the neighborhood selling awesome. them door to door. Uh, my a police officer once brought me home uh, and scolded my mom for not knowing that I was out, you know, hawking my puppets to the neighborhood. Oh my gosh! Uh, I made eighty cents and, Wait, and gave all the four? money to the friend. Yeah, I was four. Yeah, I love wow. puppets. You, the friend, the magazine. No, no, no! Like the this guy across the street. Oh. Oh, your friend. Okay, 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 cool. Um, How did you how did you get this idea to make puppets? Do you remember? I feel like um, I don't know if I was already going to the great Arizona puppet theater at that time. Okay. Um, But there was also like Sesame Street, you know, we were very craftsy. And that was something that like you did with your mom. Yeah. She loves she loves sewing. So she'd make lots of costumes for me. And like everybody in the whole neighborhood knew that I was the costume kid walking down the street. When I'd go to my yeah. cousin's house, they're distinct remembers like every memory my cousins have of me as a kid, I was in costume. So, yeah, I love that. Do you, um, do you remember, like, did you feel, I mean, certainly not all kids are like the costume kid and certainly not all kids are making puppets. So, you know, that's like unique. Did you feel like, were you aware of that uniqueness? And if so, like, how did you feel about it? I mean, I was a weird kid. I knew it, but I thought I was the normal one. Tell me everything. Yeah. Like I was the kid in class that had all the answers to the questions and everybody looked to whenever a question was asked. Right. So in my head, I'm like, this is the way we all should be. Yeah. Yeah. I think I felt that way. I think I felt that way too. Like, and I'd still do like, I still feel like that. Like I, in fact, I just had a couple of conversations with some students just this week that like, as they're giving me their answers, I'm just like, why are you thinking about it like that? Like, that's, that's a weird way to think about it. Um, like, you know, look up the answer or like have a little curiosity or why don't, why aren't you more prepared? Um, yeah, that's probably why we got along as such little kids. Cause we were both like very like serious about what we were working on. Yeah. Like this is, this is play, but we're coming in with everything we have, you know, going for yeah, it. Totally. So you started off with this, like this, you know, almost like a, like a visual art medium, like a, a craft. Um, and your family is musical a little bit, right? Some, yeah. My dad likes to say yeah. he plays the radio, but my mom plays piano. Okay. And then um, my aunt, who runs the musical theater workshop, right. her kids, um, you know, have a lot of musical talent over there. So there was there was like an environment for that. Yeah. So when you went, I I can't remember how old we were, like the first time that we did. I know it was like the year that we were doing the Wizard of Oz, because I specifically oh. remember you being the mayor of Munchkin. Oh my gosh, you remember that? I was like seven. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. and I'm, I think I'm a little bit older than you. How old are you now? Uh, almost 32. So okay, I think you have a I'm year on me. Th- yeah. So yeah. So when you were seven and I was eight, then that would have been like the first year, which crazy. I was thinking maybe it was more like I was 10, but yeah, yeah I mean, that's crazy. So in between these years of being four and being seven, when I met you, like how, how was your relationship with like art or music or, you know, it doesn't have to be what you're doing now, but just your relationship with creativity. Like what were you kind of picking up during those years? Um, I mean, I was absorbing, uh, we had tickets to child's play. We had, which is a a theater for youth company that does awesome work. Um, 
I was absorbing like every Disney movie, all the soundtracks, albums from like Les Mis to Tijuana Brass. Yeah. Um, this is this is something I love to talk about with my guests of like the the way that our our creativity starts building it by consumption. Like mm-hmm. I think you know we can, we we can easily kind of get focused on like well what are we what are we doing like what are we making. But I agree with you, like so much of that early creative development is in like thoughtful consumption. Um, can you tell me like, do you, do you, do you remember like being aware that you were maybe consuming in like a heightened way? I guess so. I mean, I was reading a lot too. I read so many books and I was already writing stories and oh, I, I should also mention my mom. Um, has been working on a novel for a long time. That was like her main goal um, a, as a kid or a, really in her adulthood was like writing. Amazing. So I just grew up in this place where it's like you read and you write both. It's it's like growing up in a house where you cool. you listen and you speak. And it was just kind of that environment. So yeah. I, I was writing I, little like sketches, little plays. Cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. So you were, you were, you know, you were, you were listening to music with like an appreciation, you were reading with an appreciation and then wanting to participate, not just, you know, singing along, but you wanted to kind of participate in like a, um, yeah, like a heightened kind of a way. Is yeah, that like I just, accurate? Uh, yeah. And I, I, I love patterns. I love ideas. I love trends, tropes. So I would see connections between all of these works and it's like, okay, well, how do I emulate those, those things? And early on, it was very basic, like, oh, you got to tell a story with like some kind of romance, right? Like, so you make up these little stories and there's some element of that. And we pick up, we pick up on that as a culture in general when, when we create, but now, now I get to be a lot more specific about what I'm stealing and how to, and how to reject some of those tropes and like play with them. But Yeah, 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 early on, we just absorb like, what are the, the models that we can use? Yeah. I, I, I'd love to know your thoughts on like where these kind of like creative impulses or creative skills come from. Like, do you feel like, you know, some of the things that have allowed you to like, you know, maintain creativity into your adulthood, do you feel like some of those things are like inherent? Like, I mean, how do you feel about kind of, how do you feel about that stuff? I think a lot of it is, um, we gravitate towards the things that bring us the most joy. Yeah. And for me, I had the best experiences working collaboratively with artists. Like I was interested in sports, but I'm not very good at it. So I gave up even watching sports because it no longer brought me the same kind of joy. Right. And that I think some people get a lot of joy um, there's so many things that motivate people as adults yeah. that stem back to what, when they were kids. And a lot of, a lot of people who wanted to be artists as kids, um, kind of got that blocked up by totally. adults saying, you know, you got to choose something more practical. And I hope for all of those kids that they found a way to still find something they love and find yeah. art in it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I think like that, you know, that problem of like, you know, children who want to be creative or children who are inclined to creativity, um, but sort of, you know, start to lose it in their older years. You know, I think you're right. A lot of times it's because there are adults saying like, this isn't, you know, this isn't a serious way to spend your time. I feel like, you know, this, this podcast is a lot for me about, you know, having conversations with people who have been able to maintain creativity into their adulthood and like telling kind of the, the, the truths of like how that happened and that it's not some like magical thing. I mean, that's why the podcast is called artifice Mm -hmm. also because I think that these like behind the scenes, like, you know, a finished product, you, you wrote about this a little bit in like your emails that I was just reading before we start, we started, but a finished product can, can look magical. It can look like it just, you know, came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like most of the time our, our private methods are like much more meticulous and sometimes like very boring. Oh, so tedious. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, it sounds to me like when I'm hearing you talk about like how you were thinking about things as a kid, like when you said, I love patterns, like freaking love patterns too. And I feel like that's even like a sentence that most people would be like, what does that even mean? But like, I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think maybe I'm curious about like those things because there's plenty of kids who can sing, but like this stuff of like, I love patterns. I love like just sitting down and tinkering with things. Like, I don't know that I have a specific question. I just want to hear you talk about like what that, you know, felt like to you as as a kid. Like, how did you experience those things? Yeah. So I see creativity as um, just a billion choices. Yeah. So nothing that we do is truly necessarily original, I think. We have thoughts that come as reactions to things, and those can be original in their reaction. But they're always geared off of or reacting to or following the train of something. And it's figuring out, like, how do you, how do you give yourself permission to make a choice and have the flexibility to change the choice later. And that, that whole process allows you to then explore. And then as a kid, I like, we did those little exercises where you would write a haiku or you would write a a limerick and it gives you these constraints to work with. And that those are the patterns. Like patterns are all some kind of constraint and you figure out what are the constraints that other people are using? Like, like narrative arc constraints, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And you figure out, okay, what what about that pattern can I use um, to to shape these ideas that I'm having and these these small morsels? Yeah, um, you're and, saying you're. Oh, go ahead. Oh, but I think like then it progressed because I loved like Shakespearean like sonnets, and I I got assignment in English class to do a pastiche like an imitation piece, and I yeah. did something on Dante's Inferno where I slipped cool. like twenty lines inside of something. Yeah. And that kind of imitation uh, then leads to, like in the jazz lingo, you know, imitate, assimilate, innovate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Those yeah. skills. Totally. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like, there are so many things that you just said that I feel like I could, like, wanted to grab and talk about. But yeah, I mean, I think, like, I think some of these important things are even just like this idea of permission. Like, anyone who listens to this podcast, you know, any length of episodes has heard me talk about this. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think this idea of permission of just like, Hey, here I am like a little kid. 
noticing a thing and just being like, well, I'm going to try that. Like just, I mean, I think that is like, that's a huge, that's a huge part of, of what this kind of, I mean, in my opinion, what it means to be like a creative person. Um, Where do you feel like you got that permission or just like, you know, had the kind of the, the guts to just be like, well, I can participate in this. I I think that was just given to me as a gift by my parents and my community because there was, um, there was this attitude like you can do anything you want to do. Really? Yeah. Which was really cool. Um, the flip side is I don't, I don't know if this is innate to my personality or a result of my ADD or a result of that community structure, but I can very rarely do things I don't want to do. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Um, yes. Okay. Okay. Well, first of all, I think that one thing, one way that we're different is I didn't feel like I had that community. Like I don't, I don't think I had support from adults. Um, and you know, and memory is an interesting thing, but I, I, I love to talk about like, I love to talk about, you know, in retrospect, how we like thought about our childhoods. I just feel like there's such, there's so much interest in like how we think about our own origin stories. Um, and I'll, I'll say like, you know, I, I distinctly, I mean, again, memory is totally fallible, but like, I feel like I distinctly remember meeting you doing the, the whiz and the wizard of Oz and seeing you be the mayor of Munchkinland. And I, I feel like I remember looking at you and thinking like, he, um, he, he know he like knows who he is. Like he knows what he wants to do. He like, (laughs) he feels like he feels total like confidence in this. Like, I just remember feeling like that kid like has some kind of thing that like I don't have. Um, and I, I don't know, like hearing you say some of these things, like, well, I didn't, I didn't think of it as like a profession. Like, I mean, I, I am shocked to hear that. Oh, I wanted there's to, there's not a question. Yeah. There's what a do you bunch think? of other stuff I wanted to do. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's funny because I saw you as someone who had it like put together and like this just, just effortless. Um, That's so weird. <laughs> I, no, I remember that one. I, uh, I latch onto parts as a. Yeah. I, I don't act anymore, but if I did, I would still be this way. Um, the year before that, I'm pretty sure they were doing Peter Pan amongst other things. And I wanted to be Captain Hook. Maybe it was the year after. And I was, I was like eight mm-hmm. and they were of course going to choose like a 13 year old cause they needed somebody taller. But right. I want, and I didn't audition for anything else. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing yeah. else. And my aunt is like, you should probably think about, you're not going to get anything. And I'm just like bawling yeah. cause I, I'm like bawling in front of everybody. I was so sensitive. I was so yeah. I, I'm ready to cry at any moment as a kid. I was just crying and I have like shameful memories remember. about that. I don't know. Well, I don't remember that, but I do remember the kid that played Hook. Like I'm not thinking of his name right now, but I like, yeah. I remember that kid. Yeah. They, Bigger kid. He's also like, was he? Like, I remember him also being like our same age. And Well, he was scrawny, but he was taller. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always the tiniest kid. Yeah, yeah. So that was silly. So, okay. So talk to me about, um, okay. So I, I love to talk about, you know, our childhoods and kind of how we started developing our, our relationships with creativity. I guess, I guess maybe I have one other question about like your, your childhood years, which, um, I would consider being like, you know, 12 and under or something. Um, did, did you ever feel, um, 
like, I don't know, insecure about any of your creativity as a kid? Or was that just something that like you didn't, you didn't deal with? I was never taught to deal with it. You mean like you were never, you were never taught I was that never, you sh- like should be insecure yeah. about anything? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah. I, I was insecure about like my, my tiny frame. Cause I have always been like the shortest kid, you know? Um, and I, I was insecure about sports. Um, I was insecure about like making friends with the kids. Cause they were kind of bullying me for, you know, being the smart kid or whatever. Yeah. Um, do you, did you get bullied for like do being a theater kid? Kind of like for art things specifically. It was mostly, yeah. it, it was art, but it was also like, it was the lack of, I guess, masculine interests. Mm. Sure. Yeah. It was, it wasn't necessarily yeah. what I did. It was more about like who I wasn't. Okay. And it, and it was more from peers and not from like adults. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. because it was able, I was able to like write a lot of that off because, yeah. um, these kids were doing dumb stuff, like burning down three acres of forest on oh scout trips. Yeah. And you're just like, I don't need to care about your opinion. Yeah. And it, it still, it's still, it still mattered to me that I wasn't, that I didn't have yeah. acceptance yeah. among, I, I did have some friends that were like me. Yeah. God bless them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but they and, were, they were and few and they were also feedback? bullied. So, yeah. What kind of feedback were you getting from adults in your, like, again, you know, maybe when you're like 12 and under. Yeah. They gave me space to do stuff. Like yeah. in the fifth grade, oh. um, I was able to put on a puppet show in my fifth grade class and it was kind of, it was a total mess. And yeah. I, I wasn't super happy with the results because I had other people performing and like, they weren't prepared, you know. <laughs> you were producing. I oh, absolutely. That. And I, I love it. I, absolutely. Um, and like in sixth grade, same thing, did a play, had everybody read it. Yeah. Um, so the teachers oh gave gosh, me that space. It. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, I puzzle over these things. I think about it so much. And I think, yeah, again, like this kind of, I, I like this word artifice just because it's a cool word, but more importantly, because I, our stories are like unknowable unless we like tell them. And, you know, I think, you know, when you're a child, it's easy to assume that kind of other children are, um, feeling, feeling either exactly the same way that you're feeling or like that they couldn't possibly have any idea what you're feeling. Like these like hard binaries. And, um, yeah, I mean, again, when I was thinking about who, like, these are the conversations I love to have. And I was thinking like, well, who do I know at like all of these stages? I think you're maybe the only person I can (laughs) can think of. And I love it that like, you know, our paths have been crossing. We've stayed in touch and, you know, we've been talking there. There haven't been like, you know, really big gaps of time where we haven't been talking in the 30 some years that we've been alive. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I think like if I'm thinking about us as children, like I think I assumed that our experiences were similar, but you were just like better at it than me. But it's interesting to it's interesting to think like, I mean, I think the adults in my life were more often than not telling me you you shouldn't do these things. Yeah, that's, yeah, which is just it's a really well, it's it's unfortunately common, and the the degree to which you experienced it is exceptional. Like, yeah, extra. well, I like. 
I like to talk about it again because, you know, I think before I started doing this podcast, I, I assumed that more, that most people had situations like I did. And we all kind of had a similar story of having to kind of like overcome a lot of adults telling, like not believing in us. Yeah. And, um, and I've, I've actually found that that's, it's the exception really like most people have supportive parents most of the people that i've talked to have, yeah. have supportive parents um and supportive oh. other adults but the one thing that i do think is super interesting is like we ended up in the same place like yeah. it, it kind of it kind of speaks to this idea that i don't know that kind of like creative resilience like it is it is resilient <laughs> like the creativity is resilient it is yeah and yeah. i i think um there, there comes other battles. Like I was so used to giving people, giving me the space to create that I assumed the rest of my life would be like that. Yeah. And interesting. in some ways it has because the world in general is generous and artists are generous and we can make stuff together, but the institutions giving me the opportunity to do what I want have, you know, has been different yes. as an adult. Hardcore amen there. <laughs> um, you know, one thing though that I think that I think we we do share in common is like, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, but I feel like you know some of the things that as an adult, like other when I'm talking to peers, when I'm talking to other creatives, um, and you know there are things that I'm like ahead in or have that are easier for me or something, which usually are these kind of like take the bull by the horns kinds of things that I know you're also like very good at. <laughs> Um, uh, people kind of, people kind of look at it like, well, how are you doing that? And I feel like well, I started when I was like a tiny, tiny kid, like just making my own, Yeah. like I was producing too. Yeah. Out of necessity. Um, yeah. Just yeah. like, this is what I do. Right. So, um, maybe I, I don't know. I don't know if you have any thoughts, but, but if you do, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just, I don't know maybe like just shedding light on this kind of seek, like something that maybe is like an accidental secret of like these skills take time to learn. I just started before anyone was paying attention. Right. Like, do you have, do you have thoughts about that? Yeah. Well, I think that's most of it's courage. The, this, this most of it, sorry, what courage what said courage. Yeah. And there's also, um, so there's this book called mm -hmm. the four tendencies by Gretchen Rubin, I believe. Um, her story is amazing. She yeah. was clerking for a United States Supreme Court justice Cool. that far along in her law career Yeah. when wow. she realized she didn't want to be a lawyer and she wanted yeah. to go write and study people. Yeah. She wrote a book um, that talks about how we respond to, ex to, ex to expectations, yeah. that there are internal and external expectations. And... I think a lot of producers have internal expectation skills. That's just like part yes. of their hardwiring. Um, that they are going to, they're going to accomplish what they want to do. And it's a lot of people experience like structures that help them do what they want to do. And they never need to use that. Right. So they never develop those that inner expectation, prioritization, and courage. Um, and so we have, a, we have a wide variety of people in the arts who respond to different kinds of that motivation. Right. And when you, when you remove the external stuff, 
the people that do not have the internal motivation figured out and strengthened, or Mm -hmm. it doesn't come to them naturally, it's going to be more difficult for them to accomplish what they want. But the flip side of that is me in an institutional setting, I don't respond well to external expectations unless I also internalize them. I'm the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, then it becomes a battle of how you work within that structure. So like there's, there's positives and negatives for everything always. Right. No, I relate to that. Like I relate to that so much. And I, I sometimes get it, get like accused of being a person who like doesn't, who likes to be the leader and doesn't like to be led. And I always feel like, no, no, no. Like if I have a great leader, (laughs) (laughs) so much easier. Yeah. But if like someone's in charge that I'm like, why are you doing it like this? This is so inefficient. Like nothing will make me more like belligerent than that. There was literally a song in my current musical in progress called In Charge, in which people are questioning why someone is in charge. Yeah. And I never saw I that until just this did moment. Did you show me as, that one before? I don't think so. I think most yeah. people have this, haven't seen this one yet because it's difficult to produce. It's an ensemble number. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah. w- I never saw that about myself in that song until just this moment. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It is like... <clears throat> It is a struggle, but I mean, I, I luckily, I, I feel like that in particular is something that I learned about myself really early and can kind of like look out for it. But yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like, in some ways, like I'm like you, I love patterns. And for me, a lot of times that means I love rules. Like, I mean, I, I love structure. Like I, I'm really good with structure. Um, but I do, I totally have like an authority problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, <laughs> and if you hadn't had an authority problem, you wouldn't be an artist today. I wouldn't. Yeah, I would. De- I would definitely not. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, it just seemed, and and to, to me in like my young mind, none of those things seemed like, you know, I was being like, like I was being difficult. It was just like, yeah, I'm sorry. You're just, you're wrong about this. <laughs> like yeah. you, you just are. So right. uh, I'm going to proceed as I see fit because you haven't, you know, you know whether the you is my parents or a teacher or whoever like you you haven't demonstrated to me that your point is valid yep yeah and I I have a really hard time because I on social media I get a little fired up yeah and it's partly because I I like to write very specific words that they come out very sharp um but also because I I'm not gonna listen to your opinion and not refute it if it didn't, if your opinion didn't come from a good place, like good yes, sources yeah. with compassion, like, and I don't have the compassion myself to like deal with that yeah. <laughs> but someday. No, I know what you mean though. Like it, and it's something it's, it goes back to kind of like what we were talking about with like, you know, feeling like even if you're a kid that feels a little different and, and weird, it's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm doing it the right way. Yeah. (laughs) Like we want other people to take the same like meticulous care that we're taking. And it's, it's easy for, you know, like, I don't know, this is maybe like a bit of a tangent, but I do feel like it's totally relevant to a larger conversation of like, what is it like to be the kind of creative that you are and that I am, uh, you know, people will say like, well, nothing will change your mind. And it's like, 
Oh, no, you definitely could change my mind. It's pretty easy. Just it wouldn't be hard at all. Like present me with information. My opinions change constantly. Mine too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. Like this, this brain is like an ever changing kind of a thing, but you just, you have to like, you have to be thoughtful about it. (laughs) Yeah. You can't just like say whatever. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that is, that is like a, that is a common thread. Like that's funny throughout my life. It's, it's funny because those types of conflicts like were conflicts that I was having like long before social media was a thing. <laughs> Just like totally this point isn't making sense to me. Like try again or I'm going to just proceed as yeah, as I see fit. Like I, I said, and the danger with that is sometimes I, I have an opinion or a desire that doesn't necessarily have uh, a counter because it's just an opinion and it's not mm-hmm. there's not it's not based in any kind of like. Like, we should do this project instead of that project. Right. I have my reasons. They have their reasons. But nothing they say is going to, like, persuade me because I'm just not interested. Right. However, there are environments where when you're, like, choosing which play to do as a ninth grader with your friends, they can't give you a reason why they shouldn't do yours. But they don't need to. Like, you should yeah. just be part of the community. And I'm, yeah, yeah, I've yeah. always struggled with that, too. I have a hard time with that as well. Um, yeah, I was reading your 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 uh drew had responded to like all of my prompts which is so thoughtful um that's not thoughtful of toward you it's just how i think through things it is thoughtful though oh it sure is. it is thoughtful it's um, full of yeah i am full of many thoughts <laughs> i also am full of many thoughts um but yeah you had you had written that you're you're not great at collaboration and i'm i'm the same way for that same reason it's yeah. like my motivation comes in like these hot, hot waves and like I am going to pick it up and just like freaking go. And if I if I wait for a collaboration, like I'm either already done way before that other person has like ever responded yeah. or like by the time they respond, I'm like, I don't care anymore so, or I don't care about what you're saying. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's really tricky when I have someone I do want to collaborate with a lot to then be flexible enough once I have set my mind down a path to then reopen it, restart again. And the result is always I feel better because I am strengthened yeah. by collaboration and I get so much joy and great work out of it. That doesn't make it any easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Re- I think remembering I, I think that makes it easier. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, it kind of comes back to that. Like, is this person a good leader? And if that person is one of those good leaders, then I'm like, I will defer and I will still care. Like I will still care a lot, yeah. but I will like defer a little. And that's what like, that's what collaboration like kind of looks like for me. Totally. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I've, I don't know that I couldn't, but I also don't know that I've ever really had a collaboration that's like super equal. Mm. There's either like clear divisions of labor and we both are like equally kind of in charge or like I'm a little in charge or like they're a little in charge. Right. And if I'm a little in charge, then it's, it's not, I don't know that it ever is actually a collaboration. It's maybe more like delegation. Right. (laughs) Okay. Let's talk about your teen years and you can kind of tell me what you think is important. So I'd love to know about the development of your, like your creative, like hard skills. Um, and then also development of like soft skills, like identity things, like things that were useful for you to learn. And then specifically, um, I'd love to know like how you decided, like, you know, what to pursue in the end. In terms of just like your major, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Let's start with the soft skills. 
because this is where you know Great. there's this meme going around that's like um i apologize if you knew past me that's season one me who uh was going through like identity and writing struggles season two me is yes. is there you know Oh my gosh, I haven't seen that, but that's great. It's the best meme. I was like, oh, I feel this so hard because there's so much about myself that I didn't learn until I was 25 to 30 to like now, you know? Yeah, same. Um, yeah. And it really takes being outside of your original environment to realize what those things were that were working for you then that were a product of those specific circumstances and no longer serve you or weren't serving you, but you just didn't see it. So there's a lot of my personality then that I think I'm like, oh, yeah, like that compassion thing and that like patience thing that I'm working through now. And yeah. it made me really judgmental as a teenager of art and even as a young adult. Oh. So it was very really? much like while I didn't, I'm always like a fly by the seat of my pants person. Like I only get as much information as I need to, to run. Um, so while I get meticulous and I, I'm working on it, that's why I do so much more prep now is because I want to run. But yeah. now I'm like, OK, let me take some time before I run to like really understand before running. Um, but I was super judgmental. Like uh, there's a composer uh, in the area we grew up who got a lot of success. Everyone was like, do you want to be like this person? I was like, mm -hmm. no, I want to be like Stephen Sondheim, you know, okay. and so I was always like comparing and critiquing and now i i don't feel that way anymore good um yeah. as Wait, much it, it still sneaks have, in go ahead can i ask you like a question about that before you talk about like what's happening now yeah um did you feel like can you say like what like why you were judgmental about certain art like what what were there any like common threads of things that you were like not this like what what was um what was going on i get bored really easy Part of it's yeah, 80, like some ADD or something undiagnosed. Yeah. And so um, if it sounds just like the stuff I've heard before, and if I can mm -hmm. tell where the influences are to the extent that it sounds too close to those influences without having right. anything of its own, right? then I'm like, what's the point? Yeah. It's like you, you said this in your email too, like you like being mildly overstimulated. And I was like, yeah. yes, yep. like, I feel that way too. Like there yep. needs to be, I, I would use the word like challenging, like, like I need as the listener to be like a little challenged for mm -hmm. the viewer or the, like, you know, even with food, like I want enough of a flavor palette. Like, yes, <laughs> like it doesn't matter mm -hmm. what it is. Like, I feel like I need just like a little more or like I cannot, I cannot care. When I go to a barbecue place, I get all six sauces in small Me doses too. so that I can try each one with it every bite. So I get something different. Yes. Yeah. I also like, I love like, I love like appetizer situations because then I feel like get to try everything. Like, yeah, it's maybe just like another like small, small piece of that same, like I need more. I want variety. I want like, mm -hmm. I want something that's like surprising. Um, yeah, I feel that way with people too. Like, totally. My husband, my my husband will like, uh, he's very he's like so quiet and gentle and like, um, and it it works most of the time because like I cannot stop talking, <laughs> um, <laughs> but like sometimes I'll just like look at him at the end of the day, like just like look right in his eyes and be like, I need more from you. Like, <laughs> just need a little more. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's funny. Hey, more. 
talk to me. Talk Give to me, me more. <laughs> He's like, I don't, I just, I just am myself. Like, no, I need more words. <laughs> do you have words? I'll say like, I'll say to him the sentence, like, do you have words for me? Like multiple times a day. Like, do you have words for me? Like, I need some words. Oh, that is, that is beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's probably like the most, it's like a, it's a very, like, I'm not exaggerating. It's like a daily, like Andrew. Words. More words. Yeah. <laughs> I need words. Um, I, I'm blessed that Belen also likes to talk. Um, she's less so than I do. I think there are times when I have to like tone it down for her just to, yeah. you know, I'm like, you don't need to read no, all 15,000 words of my blog you prep. You just need to read the final results. So let me just like save you the trouble of, oh my gosh. I'll talk it out in the shower by yes. myself. You can get the highlights. Oh, uh, do you feel though? Like, do you kind of feel like you want someone reading all that stuff? Yeah, Totally. Is that like a thing? I, I, I so do. Like, I just, I just finished building this songwriting course that was, you know, easily, like easily 80, 80,000 words, you know, like just that's, so, so, so many words. I mean, that's the biggest selling point for me right now. Like now I'm interested. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote so much and yeah, I knew, like, I know in my gut, like, I cannot ask Andrew to proof this. Like, I cannot no. ask him to read it. And I just remember, like, like, I find myself, like, longing for, like, AP junior year English where, like, someone, like, marks it up. Work. Like, yes, <laughs> like, yeah, I need it so badly. I like and I have joked about, like, can I just, like, hire an English teacher to, like, read everything that I write and comment on it? I feel that deeply. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's yeah, well, cause you're thinking about it so hard and you want someone to like find the things. Yeah. And I, I skip over steps all the time because I make, we all do this, but especially when we're talking about big complex subjects, we miss things. We leave, just, yeah. we leave them out yes. because we just assume that this particular piece of information is general knowledge or right. that we, that we explained it clearly enough. Um, and that's, I mean, that's when you're, when you're writing narrative fiction in long form, especially it's like that stuff gets left out all the time. And like, for me, it's character motivation. People are like, why is this character doing anything? Like, why are they doing that? I'm like, oh, just cause they want to, like, that's just what they, right. Right. But right. people need more. <laughs> yeah. People need more. Yeah. That's and, so true. And so for me, it's not even like, I mean, there's the grammar stuff that I'm always, I'm always missing stuff here and there. I leave words out cause I'm typing too fast or I. I edited it so heavily that it no longer yeah. resembles a, a real sentence, even though I think it does. Right. <laughs> but there's there's moments where it's like, oh, like, yeah, I just skipped a step. Oops. Yeah. For me, it's like for me, it's more like I spent so much time constructing like a perfect sentence. Like I I like thought about it so hard and like got the rhythm of it just right and mm -hmm. like the right amount of, I mean even if it's prose like the right amount of like hard consonants and soft consonants and like wow. I just feel like this little sentence is like a perfect little a perfect little entity and then like the 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 like realization that like no probably no one will ever like notice that sentence like pains me deeply I see so it's more like I want I want my high school English teacher yeah. who was this British woman to write bloody brilliant next to it like Great. she used yep. to when I was when I was 16. <laughs> she would write like bloody brilliant. I love that. Uh, and I feel like I you know I need yeah. that still. 
Um, one last question about this, like this judgment thing, because I, I feel like, you know, you like Brene Brown. I, you gave me this oh, clue. Man. She talks about, as you know, that like we feel judgment about things that we feel like little shame stuff about. Do, and I don't know if this is one of those things, but like, do you feel like some of that judgment was like about kind of a, a reference to like your own like values, your identity stuff? Totally. Like, I think, um, a lot of me had this very competitive nature growing up. Sometimes still pops up. Um, because we grew up in a competitive society and we, we treat the arts as yeah. competitive. We have all these competitions and, uh, comparative and like rankings and ratings. And like, sometimes those are useful for gauging what kind of things different people are interested in or, or analyzing craft. Um, I'm going to go on a quick tangent. I'm so ready. I, I'm like it already. I think I movie tell. reviews shouldn't give numbers. They should give target, like target interests. So like if you like, and Netflix kind of does this, if you like cerebral, blah, 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 blah. But the more specific you can get, like I don't even want the synopsis. I want literally like if you are a person who likes these things and like that'd be great. Yeah. Like there's yeah. there's some Broadway reviews like Spongebob's that's like very um, it's very rude. Yeah. And yeah. previous me was so into that. I'm like, oh, yeah, thrash them. But yeah. current me is like, why don't you just say like if you like if you're a teenager or you have or you have nostalgia for Spongebob and they did say that. But I think it's all you need to say. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, back to back to me, because maybe I'm avoiding getting vulnerable. Um, yeah. <laughs> Do it. Get uh, vulnerable. Um, <laughs> I am motivated by complexity and density. And I fear that if I do not settle, if I do not go for it and I don't develop all that stuff, then I will settle and not be my best. Mm -hmm. And best isn't necessarily a competitive thing. It's literally mostly just like, I want to be able to do what Jacob Collier does. Dang it. Not, yeah. not, not to be able to compete just because I'm like, that makes that makes my brain feel like I imagine cocaine feels like. Yeah. yeah I I yeah. want to do that myself yeah. and other people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if and if I settle for like, you know, some boring old thing like mm -hmm. that's just another new age piano deal, like I was doing as happily as a teenager, because yeah. that was the level of complexity that I like I had a, had reached and was understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like. When I saw adults doing that, I was judgmental because I'm like, you've had the time, right? Yeah, no, that's really insightful. I think I, I think I, I think I really get that too. Yeah, yeah. This kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It's like a combination of like judgment and some kind of a fear. I'm not sure. Like, it's totally how, fear. But yeah. 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 Like fear that I'm going to end up. Yeah, like producing if you, work like, if like you, that. This other person who, for some reason, like everyone around is like, this is hot shit. Like, I love this. This is amazing. And you're, and you are like, okay, wait, if we're like giving this person like a pass for this kind of like underperformance, then like, how will I, I don't know. Like, will you notice when I surpass that or yep. will you think I've done something wrong or. Yeah. Or will you even care? And that's, uh, that's the, yeah. maybe one of the main reasons I don't write religious work is yeah. because uh, the, the culture that we grew up in religiously was very like, 
art is a hobby, art is a thing you do for simple pleasure and joy, which are yeah. things that I like am, am behind, but then it stopped there. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. I interviewed, um, I interviewed like Del Parsons niece last week. Mm -hmm. He, he paint, he, you yeah, know who he is. Painter. Yeah. He yeah. painted like the Mormon Jesus. Yep. Um, and we, we were talking about how, um, like these, like the, 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 the fraught of like art needs to glorify God or it needs to just like be kind of a fun, silly thing that maybe you like as women, I think you do with your kids. Um, yeah. You know, just like kind of we, she and I and you, it sounds like all had a similar experience of just having this kind of like gut thing of like, it's not enough. <laughs> like, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough. Yeah. Like I, I, I want everyone to experience regularly the kind of catharsis that I get when I'm sitting at a curious incident in the, uh, what's that in a dog in the dog nighttime, in the night. curious incident of the dog, dog in the nighttime, in the nighttime. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> the end of the first act left me so tearful. I'm like, this is the most beautiful thing I have ever experienced. Yeah. And the amount of writing craft and technical craft and like all those elements coming together in one gave that opportunity to me. And I'm like, if it's not that, then I don't want it. And I, I don't think that I'm personally at where I want to be long term. Part of it's I need the collaborators to get there. But like, right. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm on my way. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. Like, I think I feel the exact same way. And it, it's maybe that it's just, it's the continued thread of that, you know, consuming thoughtfully. Like yeah. if you're consuming in a heightened way and going like, oh, this feeling is so precious to me. Like again, whether it's like Indian food or whether it's a book that's a masterpiece or, or Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Oh Ugh. my God. Yes. Jojo Rabbit for sure. Um, yes. And, and feeling these kind of like, I will never be the same person as I was before I watched mm -hmm. this, read this, you know, whatever. And just feeling like how many more of that experience can I possibly fit in my body before I die? Yep. Um, and when you see other people like not like feeling, um, compelled toward that same kind of change yeah it's it's um it's frustrating for like very complicated reasons like internal reasons yeah and i feel like um i feel like a lot of me has more compassion now yeah but i'm still not interested in most of it you know for <laughs> me like I, I yeah i i totally get you so you know i mean my, I feel like this decade of my life is like trying to figure out my parents and w who I am without my parents and who I am was, you know, just to figure out my parents. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and you know, this piece, this thing that we're talking about is such a big piece of it for me. Like I had that as the little kid and they do not, they never have just, they don't have it. Yeah. And I have spent a lot of time puzzling over this, this question of like, can we teach people that like hunger? Can we teach people that, you know, willingness to have a, a paradigm shift? Um, I asked my dad, I haven't, I haven't thought about this like 
I don't know that I've ever talked about this really with anybody, maybe besides Andrew, but I asked my dad, like, I, I want to say it was like the, so like my mom died and I flew home and I went on like a long hike with my dad mm-hmm. the day before her funeral. And we like went and picked up some new ties for him. Like we kind of had this day, just the two of us. And, um, I asked him on our hike, like, have you ever, have you ever had a paradigm shift? And he was just like, no. And I was like, I've had like five this year. <laughs> Yes. And I think like for me, I find like, and and it might just be circumstantial, but the artists in my life, which most of the people in my life are artists, but the artists in my life have this, like they want that. Yeah. And I want to talk with artists about that. Like that is, that is if, if I think that's the most important project that I'm trying to do with this podcast, um, is just like, can we talk about how amazing that is and try to let other people know like, Hey, if you didn't know that this is what it is, like, this is what it is. Yeah. And if you thought that maybe this wasn't something you could participate in, like you can, and here's how, you know, like this thing we're talking about is like, it's the whole point of it for me. I love that. Yeah. And I, I know some artists who don't, um, who do it for non catharsis reasons. And up to this point of most of their careers, alongside me, they're not the ones constantly taking classes and developing their craft. So something that was fun for them is now becoming less fun because they aren't motivated to push through all of the the difficulty in pursuing that endless hunger right with for, yeah. for catharsis but also like that takes that yeah. takes craft totally totally oh my gosh and i'm afraid yeah, of that I'm being glad. me you know what i mean yes 100 <laughs> percent. i just said to someone the other day like i mean i i uh, know it wasn't someone i was talking to andrew and my brother-in-law um And, uh, you know, just saying like, if I, if I go too long without having heard a new idea that kind of makes me go like, huh, I get depressed. Totally. (laughs) And, and for me, like too long is like a week. (laughs) Yeah. Well, like (laughs) if a week goes by and I haven't heard any idea that makes me just be like, wow, I like, I, I get so sad. (laughs) What were you going to say? That that's really comforting to me because I thought it was just me like being a, like a depressed, like whatever person that I don't have it innately in me to like, I'm really bad at taking care of myself, both physically, mentally, all of that. Like, I just want to just sit at the keyboard and work or be out with friends and do stuff. And like that, that keeping myself fresh is so difficult. And I only do it when I absolutely have to, but it's those paradigm shifts. Like I, January, I've been working on a project for six months, just pushing, 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 pushing. And I ran out of steam. I got so burnt out. So I pulled out five or six books and I wrote 15,000 words. And I, I like worked through all of these new ideas. I saw new things about the industry and all of a sudden I was motivated. And, and I feel like up to this point, uh, it's been, it's felt very much like, why can't I keep this regularly part of my schedule? But it's like, oh, it's like, I need that external help. Yeah. And I need conversations. Yeah. And this is so like this conversation. Uh, you know, I, I wrote 
about 4,000, 5,000 words in prep just, yeah. just so I could be fresh. Not, not so I had like, yeah, you know, just so I wasn't depressed when I came and talked. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm the same way. Like I, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I mean, yes, I do the same thing. Like I will sit and like tunnel vision on my work and, and it, it's what I want to do. But yeah, I mean, I think I recognize this in myself too. And it's another reason why I started this podcast. Cause now it's like built into yeah, my schedule. That's brilliant. Yeah. It, I mean, thank you. That's brilliant. <laughs> but I really, I really was kind of thoughtful about all these things. Like I know I feel better when I have deep conversations with people and their brilliant brains, like just give me like little things to kind of mull over. Yeah. Um, it's crucial to like my mental and creative health. And, uh, so now it's part of my weekly schedule. <laughs> Oh, you know, it's interesting. Um, I hadn't seen that benefit yet. I'm, I'm planning, this is also research for me for a podcast cool. or YouTube series. I don't know. Um, I'm working on a project and I wanted to highlight the cast. Yeah. And I'm seeing all of these brilliant um, thoughts, like changes in myself mm. um, as a result of some amazing questions that I've been asked by a bunch of books. So I was like, I would love to take these ideas and hash them out with people. The questions are actually strangely similar to yours. Um, cool. <laughs> like there's some, there's some serious overlap. I love that. I'm like, I looked at this. I was like, might steal that. Might steal that. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's a way to highlight who they are as artists because I don't want this project to just lift up my writing. I want it to lift up their performances, but even more them. So people want to work with them for who they are, yeah, not for just awesome. what they've seen these people do previously, because yeah. resumes are and portfolios are limited. Yeah. Yeah. So totally. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to hear more about like these, this, these 15,000 words you wrote later. Um, will, okay. So a million years ago now I asked, you to tell me about your teen years so oh gosh we reconnect I, back there uh, no i don't want to it's hard it's hard we, going back there i know but you know Ugh. i know you know this that time is where we lose so many creatives yeah so i i feel like it's totally okay it's crucial to tell how you got through it here we go i quit piano when i was 12 uh, my mom said i had to get good enough to play church hymns and then i could quit so yeah. i did and that's when i was like Oh, all of this music theory is kind of interesting. I'm going to like just literally just improvise on the piano. No structure. Yeah. Loved it. I'd been taking saxophone lessons since I was nine-ish. Cool. Um, but I got a great teacher who, uh, well, he's now in jail. That's a whole other story. But... Um, he's a great teacher? <laughs> well, he, he, he was, uh, he gave me some like context for... Okay. Um what college music would be like. Sure. So I then was like, oh, I could go to ASU. I was, I was thinking about doing BYU still, but um, I was like, okay, ASU has a music program of some sort. Great. Um, and then I was interested in architecture. So a friend of mine handed me a CD that his dad had burned of AutoCAD and on the disc was also Finale 2002, the music notation software, bootlegs of both. Cool. I tried AutoCAD. I was like, this is too weird. I don't get it. I tried Finale and I was like, oh, I love putting notes on staffs. I was already literate from piano yeah. lessons. 
um, I already knew chords and scales roughly. And I had like a really solid theoretical background because I went through the Yamaha education system on piano, which is way about, it's like group lessons. You work through all of these theory concepts in very practical, fun ways, and you don't get very proficient at playing piano. Mm -hmm. So like people were very critical of the system because by age like 12, I should have been able to play, you know, more Chopin or whatever, but I couldn't. Yeah. (laughs) More Chopin or whatever. Uh, I mean, I still can't. I mean, I'm still, (laughs) this is, this is adult training story later, but yeah. Um, yeah. but I, I was like, Oh, all this finale stuff is really awesome. And yeah. I literally just gave myself permission to sit and play with it for hours. And I was making short films because I also thought I was going to be a filmmaker and I needed music for the films. And I was like, well, I'll just make some stuff. And pretty soon it was like, Oh, this making music stuff is way more fun than making film. And I can do it by myself on this computer as opposed to having to wrangle all of these other teenagers who just want to make, uh, Right. What do they want? Like stunt videos with their bikes until yeah, so one of them right. breaks their leg and or has to like call the ambulance. Lip sync, lip sync videos, maybe. Oh, that. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Oh, that. <laughs> I did one of those, but it was. I didn't. I didn't participate in any of that because I didn't have like friends. <laughs> like, I was a. Uh, I was like a private collaborator. A private creator. artist. Yeah. Yeah. I I dragged my friends into some of these films. Um, like I got everybody to get credit for their ninth grade projects. They would get like. 10% of their credit extra if they, they acted in my movie. Cool. My teacher was awesome. And that I is awesome. I made a 26-minute video of the Odyssey, like a, a rendition of the Odyssey. Cool. And there is a lip sync section in there in which I <laughs> lip sync to an acapella version of Happy Together, but it's written as a stalker. And it's the right, worst right, part of the no, movie because it's literally me just for yeah. three minutes lip syncing for no reason. But the rest <laughs> oh of the movie is great. I mean, you're finding your boundaries and you're, you know, you're creating totally. That's yeah. my teenage years. Like, what can I get away with artistically? Can't do that. Can't do like, how little can yeah. I prepare for this piano, con- like piano performance? Oh yeah. That was yeah. too little. Great. <laughs> that's creativity too. I mean, yeah, that, I guess. Those, like, those are, I mean, I think it is like, yeah. I mean, you know, as an adult, like you, you totally have to decide like which things you cut corners on like that's true um, 100% I mean like I, I talk about this with my my college students all the time like you know I sing in this wedding band and it's great money um but every time we have an event we learn two requests we like tell the client we'll learn two songs for you and um like I don't want to spend any time on that. So, like, how quickly can I learn these two songs? Yep. So that they're just in the short term memory. Like, what's the exact amount of time, like, uh, like days before the event that I need to learn it so that it's, I know it well enough, yep. but it's in the short term memory. It doesn't stick. Yep. Yeah. You gotta. You can't just be like. You can't be treating every song like it's your senior recital piece. Yeah. Wow. That's good to hear. I'm currently producing something that's taking me a year and I thought it would take three months. And it's partly because I am treating everything like it's. Yeah. Sometimes you you can't. Sometimes, sometimes you just can't. You have to like choose which things get your, your best work and which things are good enough. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like pretty early on in your teens, you maybe knew you wanted to go into like something arts. I mean, I would think architecture even is. You're I, right. I you're right. Totally. It's design and creativity. I didn't see it that way, but yes. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite interviews I've done on this podcast was with an architect. Yeah. He, I mean, he definitely sees himself as an artist. Um, totally. 
Uh, they all should. Uh, I mean, they all do. It, yeah. I mean, frankly, like, I think anybody in any profession, like, can be artful. Um, yes. But, uh, so I, I guess, I guess I'm curious, like, did you, do you remember ever having to, I don't know, like, ask yourself or, or defend yourself to any adults when you were kind of saying or thinking, like, I'm going to pursue like the arts. Like, was that ever, was that ever a problem? Most of the people just told me like, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I knew you when you're famous. Really? Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It was cool. Like, and because I wanted to be a film scorer, everyone was like, Oh, like when you're the John Williams, like I'm going to watch the movie and be like, and part of it was because I was producing stuff. Right. And I had that intention right. and it was very clear you know, I like I scored a a, a film right. that I'm not super proud of the music. It's a mess because I only had a weekend to work on it. But it like won an awards. So everyone's like, "Oh, this kid can do oh, stuff, yeah. right?" Yeah. Um, oh. And there were th so there were some people. Oh, there was a high school teacher um, who never cared, and it was yeah. it broke my heart because could have used his mentorship. But he was near the end of his career, and I think he was just like, yeah. "Oh, this kid thinks he's all that," which I kind of did. And he just, I wasn't one of his favorites. So it's so interesting to hear you say this. Cause like, again, like in all of these points in our, in our like individual creative pasts that we've kind of intersected and, um, for the listener, like yeah, Drew and I both grew up in Arizona. I moved to Texas and you stayed in Arizona for like most of the time that I was in Texas. I think yeah. you were still there. Um, so when I would come home to like visit my family, sometimes we would get together and, play music or talk or, you know, whatever. Um, and yeah, I remember again, just like assuming that you were getting as much like discouragement as I was getting and just like handling it like breezily. So it's like, nope. it's nice for me to hear that you were yep. getting encouragement. Lots. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Everyone's very supportive. Um, how did you eventually, so is that how you eventually decided to like major in composition? Yeah. So I had a private teacher. So uh, I had like a bunch of different, there's tons of like small things that happened, but my mom saw that I was interested in writing. She was like the Yamaha system. It turns out they just hired a guy who just moved from Macedonia. He used to be one of the conductors at the Macedonian opera house. Wow. He could teach a composition. So he gave me private composition lessons. It gave me a structure. He, he gave me some insight. Wow. Um, so I was writing some kind of symphonic stuff. And he was always trying to teach me the lesson that I still refuse to learn, which is write small things as practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't, I write big things with small things that I practice inside of them. Right. And I wish I would learn that lesson and I just will not. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, even as you're saying that, I'm kind of like, do you need to learn that lesson? Like, I mean, bigger projects are always more fun. Right. They're more fun, but also here's the big problem with them. By the time I finish them, I've totally changed as an artist. Right. Yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. I mean, an album is like way smaller of a thing than a musical. Um, but I, I feel like that too. Totally. Like, yeah, you finish, finish the, the one, one big thing and then you're like, great, yeah. well I have to do I something mean, else now because like of my new skills. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is just like a small thing, but like, I can't tell you how many people, like when I started, like, you know, started the release process for my album masks, so many people were like, have you ever thought about going to therapy? And I'm like, the only reason you're seeing any of this is because I've like been in therapy for like five years. <laughs> like yeah. you're not seeing like a current 
you're not seeing a current me. Like this is work that I was making like in therapy. Yeah. It's just like a, yeah. it's, it's like a perfect example. Wow. Of like, everyone is getting things like from us mm -hmm. a few years delayed. There's some stuff I wrote in this show that's hopefully being released later this year from 2014. Yeah. You've been hanging on to it a while. That's, that's just great. takes a long, takes a long yeah. time. Do you still like it? Yeah. If, yeah. You like it. It just doesn't feel like current you. Yeah. I still, I still yeah. like it. Um, there's stuff I wish I, there's stuff I wish I achieved in it. Like emotionally, mm. emotional. It's always like the, the craft stuff I, I can fix. I can replace, but there's like emotion, emotional core stuff that I'm still trying to yeah. hone in on. And that's the biggest struggle for me as an artist is like, yeah, not just focusing on like, how do I steal that drum beat? And how <laughs> right no it's but it's easy to especially when you're moved by craft like you feel emotionally moved by craft sure do it's easy to focus on that i i get that too yeah I yeah that. it's that's like easy to not be forced to deal with all of the difficult honesty stuff when you can play wow. with all of the fun bells and whistles like, yeah yeah just you know I can play with sharp 11s and I don't have to think about those other things. Yeah. 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 So now I'm trying to figure out that's some of the books I've been reading are helping me understand myself and others in a way where I can then use those patterns, psychological patterns and motivational yeah. patterns to then tell stories that people connect with and do move them. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, that's cool. You're being like crafty about that as well. Of course. Right? Yeah. It's the only way I know yeah. how to do it. <laughs> I'm the same way. Like, yeah, I'm a, are you into like Myers-Briggs? Yes. I mean, I haven't thought about it much lately, but, um, do you, do you ENFP know, like, all the way. Okay. I'm an INTJ and people are always like, you don't seem like a T, like you seem like an F. And I'm like, well, I just think so much about my feelings. Like that's the, yeah. that's like the piece that you don't know. Like I'm. I'm thinking about my feelings like yeah. all the time. Mm, I might be more of a T. I think I'm borderline T. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like a hard T, <laughs> like a real hard T. I think part of it is I was raised in environments around a gazillion INFJs too. And oh, the, really? the J element has me very like evaluating everything all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. But no, I'm the same way. And as that, an adult, that I, letting go of it. Yeah. I, and I, I don't think I have, I think I'm like, I think I'm still like clinging pretty hard on that, on that J. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's more of your identity. Whereas I'm like very, yeah, I'm a very P side. So, right. So that's, yeah. that's like who I am, yeah. not yeah. my environment. Yeah. Right. Right. So that makes sense. Trying to like become more me. That's yeah. Become yeah, actually, one of my guests on this podcast said, like, art gives you an opportunity to be more of yourself, which is, like, something that I think about all the time. It's like, I can't remember who said it, but one of, one of my guests said that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, it really does. Wow, I need to approach it that way. Yeah, I like it. Um, what do you want to say about your college years? I'll just let, like, you go for it. Like, what's important in there? Um, college was where I learned a ton of new patterns that I never would have on my own. So I studied cool. classical composition because that's what 
you know, I understood that I needed, especially for film scoring. And I approached everything as if like, I need this in general. There's a few things I was like, eh, but in general, it was very much like, okay, I need to know how to write 12 tone music, not because I want to, but because it will give me a tool to fall back on should I need to do it. Or like, I need to understand 18th century harmony, not because I'm going to write like Bach, but because Mm -hmm. the voice leading is so beautiful. And to this day, like if I need to write harmonies, it's quick because I, I know when I'm following Bach and I know when I'm breaking the rules and I'm comfortable with either, but I have the choice. Um, and then I learned some jazz here and there, um, in some jazz piano lessons and in some jazz arranging classes, um, I still feel if I if I feel like an imposter ever in my life, it is in the jazz world because Mm. I mean, me too. That's that's discouraging. (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's just like the nature of that's just the nature of it. Like it's 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 a genre for like virtuosos. It is. Um, And yeah, like some kind of like. You know, I, I feel a lot of comfort. I, I don't know. I don't know how you feel about like imp- improvisation, but like it's not intuitive for me. Like I'm this I love patterns and I love like structure and working on things. And obviously I understand that um, improv works in patterns and structure, but yeah. I much prefer like to write or to memorize. Um, and when when I've talked with ja- jazz musicians who tell me like that, like that stuff that I'm really good at is super hard for them. And like improvising is just what their brain does naturally. Mm-hmm. I feel so relieved. <laughs> Such a relief. Yeah. Cause it's like, Oh, <laughs> you're not good at everything. Yeah. And you didn't have to, you didn't learn this. Oh yeah. <laughs> like you were never bad at this. <laughs> like This skill is like, this is natural for you. Yeah. I um, feel like for me, um, I, so I'm not a kinesthetic person. Um, yeah. I wrote about this in my prep, I, which yeah. is something I didn't really discover till last night. Mm. Um, I was bad at baseball, right? Well, it turns out yeah. that kinesthetic thing also translates to my technical ability at the piano. Mm. Um, Interesting. It's just not something that comes naturally. Um, I don't, I don't have a brain connection to my body in a way that really lets me remember mm-hmm. physical mm-hmm. patterns. So improvisation is great when I can connect my brain to my fingers enough to get what's on my brain out. Yeah. But I don't, I have limitations in that regard. Um, and that's mm-hmm. one reason I love writing is because I can do it. I, I get to right. improvise, but I get to improvise at like half speed. Right. No, I, I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Composition is, is just, like improvisation is composition sped up and composition is improvisation slowed down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, and edited, yeah, edited, heavily yeah. edited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's, it's almost uh, like, um, the project I'm working on is it was a recording project. That's like kind of creating the soundtrack to a Disney film. Almost. It's like, okay. it's, if you were to record before animating the, the full production, that's kind of what it sounds like. Cool. And it's, it's, it's wonderful because it's every tiny piece is editable, right? We can manipulate all kinds of stuff. People can send multiple takes. Um, but the performance aspect is so different because it's not this, the same as having the natural flow that I feel like improvisation has. 
So yeah. it's, it's, when you're composing, it's like you almost have to recreate some of that flow yeah. while also yeah. doing it in tiny chunks. Totally. 100%. Yes. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a bit of a smoke and mirrors kind of a thing. Per, yeah. Perhaps or something. Yeah. Some kind of like a beautiful illusion kind of a thing where it, it, fe- it feels naturally occurring uh-huh. when it's not. Yeah. Um, so you, did you, were you, um, what is my question? Your first like full musical that you had finished. I forgot the name of it, sir. It's, it's invincible, but invincible it, at one point it was like bears. Sir George the Invincible or something. George the Invincible. Sir, okay. But now it's just invincible. Yeah, I remember I've heard some things from it. Oof, um, what a mess. Did, did you, I mean, when we start our, when we do our, oh, it, our a beautiful, young, our beautiful young project, mess. We, we figure things out. So I, I want to ask like, when did you start that? When did you finish it? What are your, what, what did you learn? Um, so when I was 14 or so, um, a friend of mine and I were collaborating on a script that was based on a book that he'd been writing, high fantasy, um, he ended up, we ended, we ended up abandoning it cause we were 14 and couldn't produce a feature length film. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I tried like four times as a teenager. Yeah, of course you did. Oh, so dumb. I had a video camera. What's stopping me? Time, it, immaturity, resources. It's really, it's, it was really like uh, the inability to write well. And also, yeah, the, the money thing. Like, where are we going to get sets? Like, we barely had internet back then. So No, and if I had understood what YouTube was back then, I would 100% be a YouTuber, like, making content yeah. now. But it's, yeah. and I'll probably get around to that soon. But that would yeah. have been my entire teenage years. Um, yeah. And I would have been, I would have known what small form art looked like, right? Because yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't have that mm-hmm. short form. Um, right. So I, I took the remnants of the plot after he was done with it and I rewrote it like eight times in various capacities, just the synopsis and some of the scenes. And I was like, oh, I'm starting to write songs. I should write, maybe this is a musical. Yeah. Because I liked, I liked musicals. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, I could have Broadway. Woohoo. Yeah. Um, I so could have Broadway. So it eventually like <laughs> m- mutated eight times until it was this story about St. George. I don't know. And then I goofed around with it. I, re- I started rewriting it in the middle of college again. I, took, I rewrote the entire script and the lyrics without any music. Didn't write any music as I went. I literally just oh. wrote all the lyrics, which yeah. is kind of still how I work a little bit. But now I try yeah. to at least get some of the music written some along the way. Hooks, yeah. And um, and it was very classical, so it ended up being more like a libretto, in okay. uh, opera sense to some extent. Um, but I like in three weeks I rewrote the whole script, and then I over the course of the semester used it as my projects, uh, several semesters, just taking it into my professors. Finished all the songs. I had it basically done by um, the beginning of my last semester. And I was like, I want to produce this. I, I, I'd been trying to get permission to like schedule the production of it. And yeah. theoretically, student productions are kind of possible within the university structure. But they weren't going to help me get any like there was going to be no support from the music theater program, really. Um, they weren't going to give me any actors no one could get credit on it i was really hoping i could get musicians to like get ensemble credit for doing this show 
it was no structure for yeah. that. So I finally pestered them enough that um, the dean of the school finally interceded on my behalf and was like, just give him the theater, schedule it out, just find him a time, like n- no resources, but you can have the theater. Wow. So they gave it to us for two weeks. Of course, it was at the end, uh, it was at the very end of the semester. Um, it was going to be right after graduating, but they were selling pianos on the stage for three weeks. So it wasn't until like three weeks after I graduated that my like supposedly quote unquote capstone um, <gasps> premiered, but it was a full two hours. Um, wow. We had 15, 16 people on stage, 23 people in the orchestra, full wow. sets, lighting costumes, a budget of about $6,000 that we, we crowdfunded. Wow. Drew, is that like normal? Like do other people do that? And I just like, don't know about it. Or is that kind of like a, like you, no one had done it at ASU. You, you ate the whale. I ate the whale. Yeah. Yeah. And then after me, several other people did productions that were cool. typically smaller. Um, I orchestrated one of them as well. Um, in my first couple months of living in New York, when I didn't have any work, I had savings and I had, yeah. I had a gig booked. So I was like, I'll just orchestrate and go see shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, again, I feel like when people look from the outside in, it's someone who's just like, yeah, I'm going to produce like a full musical for my capstone project and go like, well, I could never do that. Um, and I, I don't know. I just would, I just would love like your, you know, your small thoughts about like, yeah, why, why you, how you did that, like, and whether you feel like it's, whether you feel like it's special or you feel like it was kind of inevitable for you or, you know, what would you tell, what would you tell someone who was maybe like, you know, doesn't naturally have that kind of like permission thing? I think it's just necessity. Like, I, I want to be the, a guy who writes musicals for money. Yeah. And the only way I'm going to get to do that is if I just know how to write musicals. And the only way you can write musicals is if you do the whole thing. Right. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm going to write a few songs here and there. I was like, that's not how it works. Like current show is 30 songs, which is excessive a little bit. But to get there, I wrote 60 something songs. Yeah. Yeah. Because the process is figuring out how to rewrite. It's such a good point. It's such a good point. Like... You know, and even when you're in college for something or you're taking lessons, your teachers are not going to give you those assignments that are necessary because they're they're too big for, you know, you can't one assign course. It. Yeah, totally. You can't assign it, but it is necessary. Yep. I think that's such an incredible lesson. You know, um, I know I feel things like that, too. Like that's, you know, I said kind of at the beginning, like I had some conversations with my students this week and I'm talking about students who like are music majors of like you have got to do more. <laughs> like you've just got to be doing more. Yeah. Um, and it's hard, yeah, it's hard in college that's... because like a music degree in spe- specifically has so many credit hours that are yeah. like, well, so many classes that are low credit hours. Right. So you're doing like eight, nine, 10 classes for 15 credits. And then I was going to 80 concerts a year during college. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. So, I was, I was in the hall one time talking to the heart professor, Lynn Aspness, who is just a light. And we only spoke maybe 10 times during my college years, but they were every single time was one of the most influential. I just like randomly met her and we started talking one day, cool. had no other interaction with her, no classes. And 
I was in the hall talking to her about this project and she's giving me all this advice and she, um, this other professor walks by and out of the blue, I said, I, I turned to him and I'm like, what do I do? He's like a history professor that I never took classes from. So I t- felt totally yeah. safe. I said, do yeah. I do my homework or do I do my project that like is yeah. my career? Like, and he's like, follow your bliss. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yeah. Oh, this, prof- okay. this professor just gave me permission to skirt on my homework. Yeah. Well, that's, I think like this thing we're talking about is another one of those like big, like artifice things of like, you know, the things that like, you know, you're going to learn in a class or, or something like there it's, I don't know, like these things that we do that, that allow us to have, you know, sustainability as artists, which, you know, we could talk a lot about like what that means, <laughs> like what the boundaries of it are, but. Um, but, but the things that allow us to keep going as artists are, it is just like obsessive and kind of like all encompassing in a way that I think a lot of people who, you know, maybe kind of feel like they want some of that, like either, either haven't been given permission to kind of go all in like that or don't, don't want to, you know, aren't going to, but it, I think that's one common thread. Like you gotta kind of, you gotta kind of eat, sleep breathe yeah and you have to um you have to sacrifice s- some of the temporary success to, to get a b- big project done sure yeah and you have to spreadsheet it you got a spreadsheet do you want to talk about your spreadsheets i liked reading that paragraph that you wrote oh man <laughs> do you want to talk about how you how you've hacked your own productivity with your spreadsheets yeah so i i have a piano teacher in new york this is where the professional training comes in um, I didn't know how to practice until I was 25. I still don't really practice that much. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm busy I'm writing. Judging you. I, yeah, I, I practice writing. Yes. Right. I get it. I'm the same way. And I do as much piano as I need at the time. Um, right. But she, her approach is you take everything, uh, every piece of, of the puzzle. So if you're working on, for example, Rhapsody in Blue, which I was, because that's one of the only pieces of piano that's technically difficult-ish that I'm motivated by. Yeah. Um, yeah. Break it into sections. So we we went and labeled them A, B, C, and we broke it into, I think, maybe 40 sections or something over the 17 minutes. And then she has specific assignments for each section. She, she breaks it down. So like this section, you're going to skeletonize, which is you play the, the downbeats. Right. You know, and you do the left hand and the right hand and you put them together on just the downbeats. And so there's all these mini assignments and you break it down and then mm-hmm. and then you evaluate how good at you are, you are at each of those sections. So you say, I am I am technically proficient at from one to ten on this section. Yeah. I am emotionally confident in this section, yeah. one to ten. And there's another thing that I'd have to look up. So, you know, I took that and I was like, okay, how do I apply this to project management? Yeah. So I got this massive musical, 30 songs, 20 scenes or whatever. um, And I just take every little chunk. So like every song, it's like, do I have the brass done? Do I have the drums? Do I have the guitar? Like, have I orchestrated it? Is the, is the file ready? Um, Are are the ensemble vocals, are all of their plunks for the singers done? Are the guide Mm -hmm. vocals done? Every single tiny chunk of it. Yeah. I put it on a spreadsheet and then I do whatever I want. Yes. 
I love that. So yeah. some days it's like, oh, I cannot see myself doing the thing that's next on the list. Yeah. So I'm going to pick something else that's random that, that like excites me that day. Yeah. Some days it's the administrative stuff that's like, I need to get contracts to those singers and I have some kind of social motivation to get it done. And if, and I, I can't do more than one thing at the same, on the same day, I can't be administrative or cre- like, and creative. I have to choose. So it's yeah. like, okay, today's a dive deep in all of this administration to get it out of the way. Yeah. And then some days it's like, I don't want to do any of this, but there is like one thing left on that piece of the puzzle. And it would make me so happy to see that last box made green. Yes. Oh my gosh. I, yes, I, I feel this so, <laughs> so hard. I, I wrote a blog post maybe a month ago now called how to, to do. And, Ooh. uh, yeah, I talk about like the exact same things. Like I'm super organized in terms of laying out like what needs to be done for this exact same reason. So I can look at it and be like, today I'm feeling artsy AF yeah. and I'm going to like do these art things. And then sometimes I'm feeling like social in a way that I can do all my emails. Mm-hmm. Cause like, I don't know if you're this way, but like I'm, I'm an introvert in such a way that even sometimes like writing an email feels too social. To me. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm an extrovert. Yeah. Yeah. I, this so pandemic no, is yeah. challenging that. Cause I'm a love of it. Like, yeah. I'm well, loving being yeah. alone. Oh wait, that means you're an introvert. I uh, maybe. Yeah, if you love being alone, that means you're an introvert. Sure, maybe. Yeah. I mean, you can be whatever you want. I don't know what I, I am. I love being alone. Great. Like intro introvert is definitely yeah. I mean, I, I I need these deep conversations, but again, like, yeah, I have to be like in the right kind of mood for it and it needs to be like Yeah, I need to plan for it. I need to know who I'm talking to. But yeah, so some days I'm like, today's the communication day. I'm going to do all of my communication. Some days I'm doing like these busy work things that are like formatting, like mm-hmm. yep. just, yeah. I'm formatting. filling out, I'm putting actors' names into contracts today and putting their address in yes. and I'm sending it to them. Yep. Yep. And I'm yes. sending them Sometimes the W9. I'm like, this is the, totally. Yes. Oh my gosh. Because I don't have to be responsible for creative so, decisions so today. Yeah. Yes, totally. That's totally. nice. Totally. I keep like a section on my to-do list that's like for errands. And if I'm feeling like particularly quiet and very still, like mentally, I like leave my computer and run all my errands in one day. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, because it's I feel the same way. Like it's a perfect way to like be creative about your work. Um, like, you know, meta mm-hmm. creative. And if you had told me that I would be organized in this fashion when I was younger, I would have been shocked because I am not a physically organized person. Like my space, it takes me a lot of effort to keep it decluttered. Um, I am not a like hyper planner. Mm. I am a, I'm just like, let's do stuff. But when I realize that I can make myself do stuff more efficiently by planning just a little bit ahead of time. Yeah. 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 Well, and that last thing you said about like, even if I don't want to do something like getting that final thing done will give me such a high. Yeah. Like I'll do it even though I hate it. Um, that's also freaking real. Yeah. There are, there are many ways to motivate yourself (laughs) and others. Totally, totally, totally. Um, tell me about moving to New York. What was that like? How did you like, how did you do it? I mean, that was the huge and terrifying to me. Well, so it also happened during a major breakup in my life. Yeah. So that was insane. Yeah. Um, but fortunately I had my cousin who moved with me and the two of us had forgotten that were thick as thieves, just like running around the city together. 
um, I had, I just like shipped what I, what I owned there. And then I spent four months figuring out the city in general with some savings, which really helped. Um, and then I went on a national tour for eight months. What show were you playing with again? The Wizard of Oz, the Andrew Weber version. Back to the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I learned a lot of stuff on that too. Like I needed to get better care of my body because it was just like aching from all the travel constantly. Yeah. How did you get that gig? That's a great story. So I, uh, I've always been very comfortable reaching out for help. Yeah. Um, it works better when you're younger because people have more like desire to help kids who aren't a threat to their job. Yeah. (laughs) If you're adorable, then it's like, sure, I'll help you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I was taught to do this even more by um, one of my mentors. Um, We we still talk quite a bit now. Um, At the time, he was conducting the Fiddler on the Roof tour. Okay. And I went to a talk back after seeing the show at Gamage at ASU, where I wasn't yet an usher, but I would be soon. And I asked him a question about something musical because the music directors never get questions at these things. Like, yeah, huge underutilized resource. Everybody wants to know how did you make, you know, the 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 set the set happen, like that yeah. technical effect, or what's it like being an actor, or but no one is like, hey, like talk about this this score and it's, this music director's there. It's like talk about like the the anyway. You know, get my point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. So yeah. I asked the question and he's like, you, yeah. who are you? So he, he motions to me after the thing. He says, come yeah. up. He's like, hey, do you want to sit in the pit tomorrow night? <gasps> yeah. And I was like, wow, that's a thing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Huge. So I was like, yes, please. Yes, please. So I sat in the pit. We became friends. Um, I came back and I think I did it again later that week. Can't remember. Anyway, um, safe, safe contact. I then did that same thing with like. 12 or 13 conductors. So I met a bunch of New York music directors. Cool. And most of them just like, we're like, yeah, come on in. I love that. That's such an amazing story of just like resourcefulness. I mean, it's that permission thing again of just like, I'm going to ask questions. I mean, I mean, even just like being at the theater, like the, like the Broadway shows tour. um, I mean, that's also just like, you're, you're just, hacking like you're just hacking it like how can i get close to these people Mm -hmm. how can i have access to these it's all about community yeah yeah those are really um important steps and simple but just not that many people take them yeah well you kind of have to be in the right place at the right time to even know it's a thing sure or you have to be the kind of person who's literally always paying attention I'm sure is more what it is. Yeah. Like that's true. You're the kind of person who's, I know I'm like that. Like I'm always, I'm always like, I'm always scan, 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 scan all the time. Yeah. Like how is this, how is this useful? And not, not in like in a, like a, an abusive way, No, just like, just like an excited way. Like how can I work with this person? How can I like connect this person to other cool people that I know? Mm -hmm. Like, can I play a show here? Like just, yeah. And then, I mean, so I think if you're always looking like that, then these like right place, right time things like happen to you more. 
Right. Like if you don't go see musicals, how are you going to meet people who do musicals? Yeah. 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 I mean, and being in the right place at the right time also means applying for a job as an usher. You that's know, true. That's an action. That's yeah. Like an which action happened because a friend of mine was already an usher there. Not, not, he was like not studying the arts, but just happened to be ushering there. Yeah. And he was like, I can get you an interview. And I was like, great. Yeah. That's, but that's, yeah. I mean, I think that's big picture creative personally, like yeah. these kinds of just like, do what it. What action can I take? What can I do? Just go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so th- you knew all these people and then. So this conductor, the first one came back around with the Wizard of Oz. Uh, in 2014, the first national. And I sat and watched the book, the keyboard book of one of the players who is now one of my friends, but I didn't know at the time. Um, Awesome. Two years later, I get a call that says, hey, I'm going out. I I stayed at um, this conductor's place in New York at one point when I came to visit um, and just like slept on his tiny couch he was like yeah. so generous and, yeah. um, anyway, he, he calls me and he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm taking the second national of that show that you saw out. And I ended up playing the same keyboard book that I had watched two years earlier. Wow. Wow. So you, so he just like offered you the job. Yep. Amazing. I love that. I love it. Just um, fr- so community. I, I don't, yeah, that's amazing. Um, I don't know. I don't like know specifically what questions I always, you know, say to people like, you know, what's interesting in your life. What do you like? I think we've kind of made it through like, you know, you make it to New York, you get that first gig. Like that's, you know, you're, you're, you have taken like, you know, I think what a lot of people would consider to be like the hardest steps of like, you know, you've got the degree, you've like got these hard skills. Um, we know there's harder stuff beyond, but, um, there sure is, like, but you got there, you, you know, you got your foot in that door. Um, so you're, in other words, just you're, you're, you're in the career. Like you can no longer, no one can any, any longer say to you, like, we're not talking about it. Like it's this future thing. Like you're there, yeah. you're on a national tour. Um, so from, from that time to now, um, what, like, what are the, what are the things you want to talk about, um, in terms of like, just what you've learned about, like, this might be a good time to talk about the writing you've been doing recently. Um, the, the pros, the pros you've been writing, um, what are your thoughts about the industry? What are your thoughts about like your medium? Um, and then, and we can talk about that as long as you want. And then let's also just spe- like, uh, talk more about like identity stuff. So go. <laughs> All right. Whatever you want. So, um, for those interested in my full thoughts, um, I just started a blog because yeah. I have so many of them and I was like, I just got to put them somewhere. I literally do not care if people read it or not. It, I mean, it's nice when it's really nice when they do, it's like yeah. really nice. Yeah. And I love hearing people's reactions and their counters and their, I feel like one of the reasons I want to talk about these issues is so that I can learn. And it forces me to think about them. But um, I think musical theater in general is broken. There's a ton of reasons. Um, The biggest reason is that there is a scarcity of opportunities for everyone um, being constricted by the pipeline that relies 97% on Broadway to do its distribution. We have a lot of regional theaters. 
Almost all of yeah. them are doing shows that have been branded by Broadway and developed by Broadway because Broadway is the place where you can take those risks. But we should enable other places to take those risks because Broadway has only 41 theaters. Most of those shows are going to be shows by people who already have credit because they are less of a risk. So I did the math. It takes is about two new composers on Broadway. Watching you go through that in your blog post, like, ugh, I mean, I think these problems exist in the arts. In general. In all kinds of ways. But yep. like Broadway is like specific enough of a thing that like watching you break down those numbers, I was, it felt like a gut punch. It hurt. I, I <laughs> yeah, was pained. I was like, yeah. am I, is it hopeless for me? Right. Like I have spent so long figuring out how to get my work in one of those slots. And then to realize those slots barely exist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of thinking made me realize, oh, it's not the slot that I want. It's the system that I want to change. I don't care about my show anymore. I care about all the shows. Shows. Yeah. And it's not like there's not a market for it. People eat musical theater up like it's candy when they mm-hmm. are offered it, when it's good, when right. it's ready, when it's accessible, which Broadway yeah. shows are not, um, when regional th- shows are risky because... Sometimes they are not worth the ticket price because the ticket price has to be high because it's expensive per capita. I mean, there's a whole lot of whole lot of stuff that I'm like, how can we financially expand these systems? So that's what led me to thinking about streaming. Um, I want to create, I, I don't want to create it. I want somebody else to create it. I don't want to be in charge of this because I want to just be an artist and not in charge of all of the money stuff. But yeah. We need a system that takes regional theaters and streams their productions so that they can afford to take risks on new shows and reach new audiences. It's really important yeah. for diversity, equity, inclusion, which we're talking a lot about as an industry, and we have failed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife, Belen, um, can only you know get cast as uh, w- when people are being either creative with their casting on old shows. Um, or when they are doing In the Heights or West Side Story or On Your Feet or yeah. Hamilton. or you, There are new shows coming, but the new shows are so slow to come and so slow yeah. to be developed. And frankly, if you want to reach, like, especially if you want to do Spanish language work, if you want to reach those communities, you have to be in those communities. And New yeah. York, while it does have some of that, doesn't have the kind of reach that a streaming platform would if right. you were to broadcast, let's say, a production from San Antonio in Spanish to all of South America. Right, right. So. Yeah, and it's it's funny. You're so right. Like, I mean, I you know, you know this and I know it, but like now we're saying it for the listener. Uh, you know, the we, we, we act like the arts are like a charity case. And it's ridiculous. Like, there is so much potential money in the arts. Like, and and it's it's insane that people aren't thinking like innovatively in biz- in business ways mm-hmm. in the arts. There's a, there's a, I don't know what it's called, a brain trust of sorts of people who are thinking about innovating in Broadway. And most yeah. of their, most of their efforts are currently going to figuring out how to make Broadway less of a financial risk when you invest in shows because mm. only 20% of shows recoup their initial investment. So they're thinking about wow. how to make tickets easier, how to like, there's a whole lot of things they're doing. And there's this guy who I love his work and he's just the nicest guy. His name Townsend Teague. 
And he did a 30-minute video at the beginning of the pandemic talking about the impact of Broadway financially on the country's arts and, and, yeah. and New York City's budgets. He makes a brilliant case for how much money Broadway brings to New York and to the country. And it's like shocking to see like, like the arts contribute more than the airlines financially. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. People just don't think about it like that. Right. And it's, it's like, we're so used to like trying to protect art as like a non-commercial thing, or we're trying to figure out how to hack it to make it a commercial thing and sacrificing the art. Right. And the, right. and the truth is, if you make the good art, the, the best art that is for art's sake with a specific audience in mind that where there is enough of an audience and you get it in front of them, you can make money doing great work. Both. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, I was talking after. So I, I read your 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 six part uh, series. Yeah. Thank and you for that. And uh, I read it like while like I think it was and thank you for that. Um, Andrew was asleep and I was reading it. And then the next night I was like, I have things to talk to you about. Like I have words today. Um, and, uh, I was just, you know, telling him what you had written and kind of, you know, uh, like for me, I'm thinking, you know, the, the equivalent, like maybe it's not an equivalent, but you know, when we're talking about, you know, maybe Hamilton in Broadway, like it's not that it's not that different from like Billie Eilish and pop. Like it's this different thing that like when we see it, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, this is so different. Um, and I feel like Kate, but no, because Bjork and Regina Spector and like there's all of this. But I, I don't I don't know. I'm not going to be articulate about this right now, but I just feel like. There is so much evidence that people want something that's new. People want something that's different, but they, they are too scared to invest in it until they already know it's popular. Right. Um, but there's, but there's just evidence all the time that people are bored, that people are sick of the same thing, that people want variety, that they, they want to differentiate their own identities and have art that like they can identify with and, and differentiate, you know, through, um, and the, the difference, you know, with Billie Eilish or whoever, I mean, I think we felt the same thing with Adele. Like when Adele was brand new, totally. like that was really, really different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe Ed Sheeran is kind of like that for a lot of people. Totally. Um, and it, it's not, it's not insane. Like there, I mean, Adele and Billie Eilish and Ed Sheeran are all like very talented people, but like there are others. You know? Yeah. Well, like, and you look at who's winning the Grammy so right now, more. like a bunch of the Grammys lately have been going to people who are like Jacob Collier and insane. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. So we're we're start, we're finally starting to see some more variety. Yeah. Well, and I think we have like some we owe some of that to like Breaking Bad. You know, like like the t te- like the yeah. TV phenomenon of like, hey, we're going to tell stories that aren't watered down. They're not um, they're not designed for like a a super broad audience. But then yeah. like, hey, check it out. A broad audience likes this thing. Yeah. Do you know yeah. the diffusion of innovation theory? No, so, sorry. What is it again? Diffusion of innovation. So okay, tell me. So um, been reading some Simon Sinek and some Seth Godin. They cool. they talk about it. Um, if you want to do work that that changes the world, you have to target your audience towards a very specific audience. Like it has to be very, you are meeting very specific needs, and you're finding the early adopters who are like maybe. of the population 
or less. So the innovators are like 2.5% of the population. The, the early adopters are like 13%. When they find it and they love it, the hipsters, as it were, this, mm-hmm. this applies to technology with devices and platforms, but it also follows with music or anything. They can teach the rest of the people to love it. Yeah. And, and Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point, talks about that too. Oh, yeah. So like 50% of people will be the like early majority. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then there will be people that lag behind, but they'll eventually come on board too, theoretically. So people make the mistake of trying to appeal to the masses, especially to try to appeal to that late majority when those late majority are never going to buy your stuff. Like unless they are convinced to buy the early adopters. So if you target it so that the early adopters love the experience. And for me, those are people who, love really quirky, fast-paced musical theater, who love shows like Futurama, who love Jojo Rabbit, who love very specific work that really hits, like, those people. Mm -hmm. Those people then have a way of showing other people. And the the other people also have a new perspective to look at that's not this mass thing. Right. And that's the biggest case for telling stories that are diverse and inclusive. Right. And by empowering them to reach specific audiences is like, I want a black writer to be able to produce their work in a, in an environment where they are not watering it down. I love the watering it down word that you used Mm -hmm. for their community. And then I get to watch that work and go, wow, this wasn't made for me. Yeah. And I can tell, like, I can tell that, that Beyonce's Lion King special, that whole, uh, what was it king i don't remember what's called but i can tell like wait you're not talking about homecoming right no i'm talking about the thing that's on disney plus show the one that's on disney plus uh i don't have disney plus um holy cow it's so rich it's so like uh my black friends are like all obsessed with with it culturally like it really speaks to them and i'm like wow i watch this and i don't know what it's talking about exactly yeah and it's yeah. I can't relate to it like in a really direct way because I'm not from this culture, but I am learning things about this culture in a much more interesting way than I would be if I were watching something that like was specifically altered to reach a more white audience. Right. Totally, totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, the reason that I said I asked if you were talking about homecoming is because I watched that um, during the pandemic. I know it's kind of old, but, you know, we had time in a way that we didn't before um and i was like let's catch up on all of the music documentaries um but i felt the same way watching that like i don't know what these things are referencing and then i did a lot of googling and now i know you know yeah but that is like i find that to be a thrilling experience also of like that just that same thing we were talking about earlier of like oh like there are things in the world that i that i've never even touched like things in the world that I've never heard of. I don't even, I have no, um, like vocabulary for, um, and, and I think, you know, that's the kind of thing that might thrill you or me more than it thrills other people, but it does thrill other people too. (laughs) Like, especially if it does, if they've heard, you know, some, someone that they know be like, Oh, here's the like, um, little compass that you need to like enjoy this like just yep. someone just giving you like a couple of little things that you can go in with a lens where like you know maybe some people might be turned off and be like i don't know how to understand this so i'll switch the channel to like okay no my friend told me to expect this to feel this way yeah 
and you know then they're like ready and excited i think one of the best examples of this is marvel comics and marvel movies Mm -hmm. um because i personally don't really care about marvel comics i mean i don't care about comic books i think i like comic characters but like i just the, the medium isn't for me however i get really invested in understanding where all of these movies got their inspiration so i go down these mm-hmm. deep rabbit holes of figuring out like comic book storylines to understand how the writers were influenced on these movies and then mm-hmm. to see it it's interesting because it's now happened at a deeper layer with wandavision coming out mm-hmm. um wandavision relies pretty heavily on people having seen the marvel canon specifically about six to eight movies mm. um where these characters are involved and it references even more that said you can enjoy wandavision on its own and it's right. enjoyable because they explain everything fine but i i, I as, as a person i'm like hey like you can either watch all of those videos like all, all of the the marvel movies or there's right. a youtube video that, that recaps it in 12 minutes and gives highlights yeah. from everything. And it like you get to, to jump down in this whole world. And there's people that are like, I hate superhero movies, but I really want to watch WandaVision because of what it represents, yeah. like of its uniqueness. Yeah. Which obviously was like a creative gamble for them because this is so weird for the brand. Totally. But it's one of the people's favorite things because it is so specific, because it does reference such a deep culture. And so people are really able to dig in. And uh yeah. and and it's making like it's it's turning it's doing to the Marvel movies, what the Marvel movies do to the comics, which I think is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people underestimate, uh, you know, the general person's ability to like enjoy, enjoy that way. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. I have like maybe just two questions. Um, what's, what do you want to say about like your work? Like, I mean, and we can ask multiple questions. Not like you have to give me like one answer, but like, do you want to talk about what do you want to say about your writing, the things you've played in, like the work you've done? Like what what would you like to tell? Um, so following up on the Simon Sinek train, I just mentioned him. Um, yeah. He wrote a book called Start With Why. He's got some TED Talks as well mm-hmm. and a book called The Infinite Game and a, a follow up book that's called Startup. Uh, sorry, Find Your Why, mm. which helps you figure out what makes you tick. And it references stuff that uh, like in your childhood, in your teen years, it kind of like guides you through figuring out what motivates you yeah. and, and following the trail into your professional career. What is it that drives you to do what you do? And it's not just like, you know, if you're an environmentalist, it's not just saving the environment. It's like a specific reason. Like, why are you doing this for people? What's the impact you want? Yeah. And for me, that is, I discovered... I'm here to challenge and delight people so we can be our most joyful selves. And yeah, joyful, yeah, and joyful isn't just, um, isn't just happy, like p- content, pleasant. Joyful is like working through hard issues and finding joy at the other side of the tunnel. Right. Um, and challenging and delight, it's, uh, I think those two pair perfectly in, in satire and in, mm. Um, like biting, you know, jokes. I, I just, I just love satire now. And I'm starting to understand why it's because of that, like challenge and delight thing. And that's why I, yeah. I want to learn so much. That's why I, I take so much joy in all of this stuff. But it's also why I do musical theater because I don't think, I can't think of anything that's more built on satire. Right. That's more built on uh, fun. 
Yes. Yeah. So I just think, I think that's why I know I'm in the right place. And I, I now feel freedom knowing that about myself because I don't have to stay in musical theater to find that. Right. Right. That's a really, that's a really cool thought. Yeah. I think I had a similar thing with jazz. Like, you know, I, I was drawn to jazz because, um, it's free. It's experimental Mm. and exploratory in a way that, um, nothing else that I had personally like come in contact with had been. Yeah. I mean, there are things, but they weren't things that I found. And I think, you know, jazz is kind of, yeah, it's experimental and exploratory in kind of a special way. Um, yeah. And I think I've also kind of realized, uh, I don't like improvising as I said before. (laughs) So that probably means that jazz is not the, not my, the permanent home for my creativity, but yeah, like having those kind having that kind of understanding of like what drew and, and continues to draw me to that medium allows me to more seamlessly and with more integrity, um, yeah, keep being more of myself in, in my, in my art. Yeah. Which is maybe like moving into, you know, different genre and sometimes I think multimedia possibly like this feels creative to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to say about like your particular works? Like, do you want to tell yeah. the listener like anything about what you have made? Sure. I'll tell you about the one I'm, I'm doing now. Um, cool. it's called macabre mortality services. It's a musical I've been working on for a long time, uh, centering around death, uh, intergenerational conflict, family dysfunction, uh, corporate, uh, malfeasance, greed, greed, Cor- corruption, corruption, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, also jazz. So, cool. um, it's, uh, we did a concert of it a couple years ago, uh, as an effort to like get producers to be interested in it. And of course it's like difficult to discover, uh, venues for musical theater. So it wasn't really going anywhere. A pandemic hit and I said, what if this was a radio musical comedy? So we're producing total, uh, total audio. Um, that idea was inspired by another project that I've been working on with, uh, my friend, Chris, who is one of the most genius humans I've ever met. Like in, in, in spirit, in talent, he's a brilliant voiceover artist got a beautiful singing voice even though i don't know when the last time he had a voice lesson was wow. i'm like how do you do this dude i know people like that frustrate me as well yeah <laughs> and and uh, i think our collaboration is is excellent because um if you think i'm off the wall this guy is off the wall and i'm actually kind of the one like sometimes reining it in it's <laughs> cool. real weird i love it's that. real weird for me um but i just adore him um, so we're working on a podcast musical that was originally intended that way called Bass Butler, Space Butler, cool. uh, set in space about the head of hospitality on a, a voyage who discovers some fun secrets alongside with his new robot oh. sidekick. Amazing. And of course, there's a vocoder for the robot. So we're... Of course there is. Loving that. When do these things come out? <laughs> um, I'm hoping to get Macabre out by Halloween. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Theoretically, uh, I've heard some of it. The listener, I'll I'll let you know that I know a little bit more. I've heard some of it. It's very good. It's very silly. Um, 
Yeah, it's yeah, but like you said, that's like that's this Broadway thing, and it's very silly, but it's death and corporate greed. Yeah, and, and very silly. And we we say a lot of like, we say a lot of stuff. I don't know if, what it means, but we say stuff. So that's good. Yeah, uh, I love it. Yeah, that's and then uh, Space Butler, like, uh, whew. when I finished this project, this was supposed to be a short project. It was supposed to be done by like last August or whatever. Nah, maybe like October. And then I was going to get yeah. to Space Butler, and we were going to do that too. And now I've put poor Chris on hold and he's still working on Macabre with me, but we'll, cool. we'll, we'll get back to it. And I think it's going to be an easier production process because um, it's more uh, synth instruments rather than relying so much on like live yeah. and the, the recording sp- smaller the cast. And- yeah, that's great. That's awesome. So. That's going to be so cool. I love listening to things like I, I love consuming media with my ears um, exclusively because then I can do it while I'm like cooking or walking yeah. or um it just like it it's it's my favorite kind of media that kind of like fits with my life um so yeah i mean i love the idea of a like a an audio musical i'm glad you're Sounds excited great. i personally yeah. am like very visual um despite i don't know i don't think i don't work visually but i like to watch visuals yeah so i'm really hoping that this uh gives us some leverage into a netflix transition or something yeah. Well, sure. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not, I definitely wouldn't want to suggest that it that's where it ends, but it's, it's a cool, but, like, yeah, I'm, it's a cool, the goal is that this feels like a final product and that lets me set it down. And then I can, I can yeah. be at peace knowing that people have, have experienced it, at least the, the writing element in, in its most, yeah. you know, they don't have to use their imaginations as much, which is, I think the biggest problem in getting work produced is that people right. aren't trained to have the kind of imagination necessary to look at a script or a demo to be able to know what that's going to look like down the road. Totally, totally, totally. That is real. That is real stuff that you just said. Yep. <laughs> I feel that even like, yeah, even just, just trying to explain the smallest ideas to people in, in my life, like, you know, and you, and then, you know, you have to kind of have the confidence to be like, no, it's going to be good. Though. Yeah. And, good. and I think my cast <laughs> in general, my cast is interested and excited about the project. But I don't think most of them understand what the orchestrations are really going to sound like because they've been working with these demos. And I'm like, yeah, guys, just wait till we have a real saxophone playing with you. Like, it's going to be better. You're going to be yeah. real excited then. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, OK, I wouldn't normally like ask this question this way. Um, but uh, since I have known you for 20 something years, yeah, 20 something years. Um, is there anything that like you want to just talk about with me? Like anything specifically you want to like reminisce about or discuss like based on things that you know we both like? And if not, I will pivot. I got to think I about mean, this for a second. Our, okay. It is our hundredth episode. Yeah. So, you know. This is good. Um, well, I'll ask. Yeah. You, well, do you want me to like talk while you're thinking? No, I just want to talk about the time when we sang next to each other Um in go 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 joseph in musical theater <laughs> camp that meant a lot to me about it it was meaningful really? yeah wait tell me what you remember uh i remember you were singing the narrator i was singing joseph and like uh it was one of my last years doing it i think we were 13 and 14 maybe ish wow i like don't remember that oh man and i had like a mild crush on you just like oh she's so good Aww. at this <laughs> oh man and um just had like a, a wonderful time singing, which is rare for me because I, I'm not a singer and, um, not really, 
And I'm... anyway, it was just uh, one of those moments where earlier in my life, I actually like really got to do something collaborative with someone I loved and respected. And I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I remember singing that with you. I don't, I, I feel like this is one of those fallible memory things where like, I remember us being younger, but so I don't know, but for, I guess for the listener, like there's this theater camp that Drew's aunt, runs is is one of three people who who ran it now her daughter we, took over her slot i think angela angela yeah wait yeah um yeah so we did this theater camp like every summer yep so um yeah so we were for probably five years mm-hmm. six years something like that yeah so i i remember i don't remember us being that old but i definitely remember that and the thing that i remember about it is maybe really similar of like and, and this is this is always the thing that i've like thought and felt about about you of like there's one of the very few people that I know in my life who like cares about this as much as I do and and it's such a it's such a relief to collaborate with someone who who cares about something as much as you do and feeling that kind of like I mean I think I've I think I've had a, like many times in my life had an experience of being like like you know maybe like just low-key teased about like being too into something or like too excited about something I get that all the time and still it's it's such like a sad, sad, um, like it just, it just like takes all the fun out of the thing. Right. And yeah, I remember that and feeling like I get to enjoy like every little piece of this fun because like, I know Drew loves every piece of this fun as well. And like that full, that full trust of like, we'll both just be like all in in a way that like, no, never are you going to have a worry of the other person being like, wow, you really went there. And yeah. I didn't go with you. Yeah. And I didn't go with you. That's the thing. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. I love those moments of, oh, wow, you, you went there yeah, and celebrating it, you know, cause like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I remember having like such joy doing that. And that is something I still think about. Like, I think because of the type of music that I've like gone into, I almost never perform on like an actual stage. Like I, I mm. perform on like little club stages, which yeah. is like a different kind of a thing. Um, or like, you know, festival style, which is like in the daylight, you know, it's just yep. different. But so I still like I cling to those those memories of like being on a stage where like the spotlight is in your eye. That's you so magical. It is so magical, like the kind of anonymity of it, like knowing that the audience is out there and there's going to be this like roar of applause, but feeling like in the moment, like you can't see their eyeballs. Like mm-hmm. that that feeling kind of get, is exacerbated when when you're in the the orchestra pit it's like amplified because like you really can't see you but you're like if i messed up you'd all know it (laughs) it's exciting (laughs) it is it is yeah and just like feeling like that full kind of like immersion in the experience is like i mean even like yeah most of the performing that i do now it's like you know when when we're when we're taking a break between sets like we're just sitting in the restaurant or you know whatever (laughs) like it it's it's a it's a totally different thing for me to like be performing and then feel like I need to just go like to the same bathroom that like the public is in. Yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's just like, it takes away a little bit of that kind of, it's not even like a a magic of like, Hey, we're doing separate things, but it's like, I lose, I have to like some mystery. I, well, it's like almost like I have to poke holes in my own experience of like this full Mm. kind of immersion. Like I want to stay in a magical experience um, in a way that is difficult to do, like in the type of performing that I usually do. That makes sense. And when you're, in, when you're doing 
Broadway, you get to, you get to kind of stay all the way in it. Like you do. And even backstage, everybody there is still focused on the same task. And yeah, there's like, there's just like an energy Mm -hmm. (laughs) that like everyone is, everyone is part of. That's true. That's something I miss a lot. Um, I've, I've loved having time to create with people, but Um, I think we had like a lag. Yeah. Uh, Go, Go ahead. There we go. Go ahead. Um, that's something I miss about live theater, I guess. Um, I'm not sure that I'm going back to it after the pandemic just because I have other work to do. Maybe we'll see I, if I get some offers, we'll, you know, cool. I will consider them, but, but it's, uh, it's different when you're constructing something with people rather than doing it in front of a live audience. Yeah. Um, I have another question. Yes. Yeah. Um, what, what can I do creatively for your vision on a collaboration? What, what do you mean? Like, uh, is something specific or yeah, just like, well, I guess, oh, here's what, here's you, what you it is. You mean like, how can we work together? Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. So I, I want, cause I can do stuff you don't know I can do yet. So, which means I need to get, I need to get that, those demos done. You know, Macabre will give you a sense finally, but I want to produce something where you get to just like do your thing and I'll do all the other stuff or whatever. Oh my gosh. I would love, we should do that. I would love that. Anyway, I want to know what you envision a project that like where I would be useful Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think I, I think if I'm being really honest, the way that I feel about it is I'd rather do it the other way. Like, do you have a project where I'd be useful? I see. But maybe we both should just think about this more. (laughs) I want to, I want to help you. I I get that. Um, But but I'm doing so many of my own things that I'm like, I just want to show up and just like have, take orders sometimes. You know what I mean? Well, I think yeah, I do, which is why that's, that's just why that's what my answer is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're coming, you're visiting Utah in, in like a, a month or so. I hope. Well, come and stay with me and we'll, we'll, we'll mull over this question. Cool. Um, okay. So at the end of the podcast, I usually like, I like to just kind of wrap up with these identity questions. Um, so we've talked about so many good things, so we don't, we don't need to spend too much time on it, but maybe I'll just ask kind of one really simply, um, how do you, like, how much of yourself is in your art? Is your art you? Are you the art? Like, what do you feel like is the relationship between like who you are as a person and the art you make? How are, how do they intersect? I don't know. I feel like, um, I, I don't think about that in the process. Um, I just write what's interesting to me, but then what is interesting to me ends up being in some way related to me. For example, yeah. like the, the in charge song, you know, which, uh, I didn't really see as connected to my own rebellious spirit, but it is. Um, but I think going forward, a lot of, a lot of what I'm interested in talking about next is very personal and yeah. I haven't gotten to the bottom of that enough to talk about it yet, but, um, I will say, like, I think you can see when you watch my my work that I am energetic. 
I am in, uh, distractible. Um, I want to get to the bottom of things quickly and not waste yeah. a lot of time on um, I don't know. There's some stuff in Macabre that I do spend some time on that I'm like, I don't need to spend that much time on it. But I do, because yeah. that's like, I like this song. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, I don't know. Well, maybe maybe I'll ask like one follow up about this this new project, and I'm, I'm hearing you that you don't want to talk too much about it, but because I don't know anything talk, about it. But continue. maybe you can talk just around this idea, like, okay, this is this is another thing we've kind of been been talking about since like the very beginning of this conversation of, you know, the the mystery of like the finished product and how it got to where it is. Yeah. And, you know, this kind of feeling of it's easy to look at someone or something someone has made from the outside and kind of be like, oh, well, that's really, you know, whatever beyond my ability to comprehend or that person is very, you know, whatever. And, you know, those of us who are, who are making things kind of knowing, knowing for ourselves that, um, there's just like a lot more like baking that's going on, like a lot more like, cooking that we have to do yeah um so maybe you can just can you talk vaguely about the experience of kind of like knowing that there like are things that you need to deal with and like maybe just like how how you even kind of how, how why do you know that like yeah. may, like maybe like what's going on that you know that and, sure. and maybe like how, how at this point where you like don't know anything are you how are you even like thinking about that? Like I, I relate to this, but can you talk about it? Um, so Brene Brown has a, a recent podcast in which she t it's titled toxic positivity part. I don't remember if it's part one or part two, um, with an amazing guest. And I never remember the guests names. My bad. Um, it's talking about it's all good. emotional granularity. So finding language that describes your experience at a more deep level to use that as a way of navigating and processing. Um, so instead of just saying, I am sad, you're cool. saying, I, I am disappointed in this. And it's, I mean, it's, it sounds, right. it's kind of therapy, right? So I feel like art in a way, um, when you go about it, this heart way, which is something that I'm, I'm learning to do slowly, is kind of therapeutic in that you are giving language specifically either literal language or musical language or visual language, whatever it is, to this experience that you're having to identify and process it. And I've got some stuff in my life at the moment that I don't know what to do with. Um, not really totally in my control, but I could say something about it. But I, anyway, so what I want to do is I realize I have this frustration and I'm like, oh, this, these thoughts that I'm having that I don't feel comfortable expressing right now verbally in the rooms where I would like to express yeah. them. I could, I could use that tension as the conflict of my next work because I relate deeply to this 100%. specific conflict and I know exactly what it feels like and I know what I would want to say and I can use that as fuel. Yes. Yeah. So before when I asked like, what's your relationship to your art? Like, yeah, I think that's, 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 that's the answer. Like, or at least that's an answer. Yeah. I know lots of times like, and, it, and it's another thing like, you know, again, I, I, when I think about this word artifice, 
Um, and I think about the way that I'm using it, which is like, what are the things that happen like in our minds as artists? What are the things that happen in our work? You know, and I, with any of my guests, I'm talking about some piece of that. Like sometimes we're talking about all the complicated, like logistical things that go on behind, behind the work that nobody would know. And sometimes we're talking about other, um, more like esoteric things. And, um, and, and I have just found that, that a good way to kind of get at this question is talking about like, what is our relationship to the work? Um, like where do I, where do we see ourselves in relation to it? And not that it's an easy question to answer, but I feel like the answers kind of, I don't know, they give us some clues, but yeah, I think it's, I think again, it's easy for people to look at a finished product and think that you projected yourself onto it. And I find that, you know, maybe sometimes that's true, but for me personally, it's more like in tandem, like I, I feel that kind of tension. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's about. I might project myself onto the thing accidentally, but I'm certainly not like, here's a story I have to tell. Yeah. Um, and some artists work like that. And, um, yeah, I just like don't. Right. <laughs> or some artists work like that on this project or that project. And maybe someday we will, you know, maybe we're yeah. like young enough that that's just not what's happening right now or something. Mm -hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, I feel like for me, for sure, more often I'm, I'm solving some kind of a problem that's totally, I don't even know if personal is the right word, but like, it's, it's my problem. Um, like in the actual process of making the thing or like the assignment that I'm giving myself to make a thing like allows me to kind of like step into, yeah, you know, the solution. It like, it might not, not even be like a one-to-one -one. It might just be like a, because I'm working on this and the ways that like, this is challenging me. Like I'm prepared to like, accept these other challenges like separately yeah no, that makes sense yeah i like it it's it's cool stuff i just realized something about macabre tell me uh the the plot is centered around a corporate revolution and i personally have never been in that experience and i don't see myself as um hyper rebellious i mean i i I'm, i question everything but um, I just realized that a lot of that is a projection of what I wish people around me sometimes would do when they are in those circumstances, because I've had a number of people around me in circumstances where they were not listened to, where they uh, were asked to do unethical things or just had to put up with it or whatever. So this is me saying, I wish this would happen. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, you're, it's, you're, uh, it's out of my control. Yes. Oh my gosh. You, I totally get that. Almost like you're building like a template of like, this is maybe how this could happen. Yeah. Like or this something. is, it's, it's just like, I can't control my life. Right. The, I can't control what other people do, but in this art piece, I can realize my un, unfulfilled yeah. wishes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love this idea. It's actually, it's not a new idea to me. Um, I talked about this, I, I, I think I posted on Facebook about it, but um, Lily Wachowski, who made uh, The Matrix, yep. made this other incredible show, um, Sense8, that I, that I loved so much. It's on Netflix, I think. And she says, um, I've, I'm going to forget the exact quote, but basically that like sometimes you create, you create something that then is like a handhold that you can use to like pull yourself forward. Yeah. Like you make a thing that like 
you make the thing that you need in order to like, and and in that way, it's not a projection at all. It's like, it's like a lifeline. Like you're building your own kind of lifeline. Yeah. And um, that's what makes me so grateful when other people make art that functions like that for me, where I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the target audience of this. And like, it inspires such a deep gratitude and, and I just want to pay that forward. Yes. Amen. Hardcore. Amen. Okay. I always ask, I think, I think that's it. I think we've done it. I always ask two little wrap up questions. Great. Um, the first one is on this day, what is your dream collaboration? You can put together a whole team, um, like dream team, people who are alive, people who are dead. Like who's your, who's your dream team of people? Okay, great. Would you love to work with? All right. Here's what it is. Um, I am the very loose showrunner on a television series with a wild, crazy plot, and I have cool. guest writers and directors. Awesome. And they include Tina Fey, Amy Sherman Palladino, Taika Waititi, um, who else? Oh, um, Hot Fuzz. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, Edgar Wright, I got there. Edgar Wright, uh, Scott, cool. Sp- uh, Scott Pokemon <laughs> versus the world. Um, and then I would have guest okay, artists cool. come on for uh, both appearances. Like they would, they would be in the show somehow. Um, and th- cool. we'd go into music video moment or something for a second. Um, and and awesome. I, I would have Jacob Collier. I would have uh, Dirty Loops. Thank you for introducing me. Um, mm-hmm. I would have maybe like some Tori Kelly. Who else? Who else yeah. is there? Esperanza Spalding. Sure. Like just yeah. absolute yes. insanity. <laughs> people, people who are doing. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And I would say like, like Seth Godin, the, the, the author speaker, he says when people, he goes to speak at a conference, he always says, do you want my try my best stuff or do you want my new stuff? And they always say the best mm-hmm. stuff. They want the stuff that's tried and true, not the experimental, right? But I would say to all these artists, every mm-hmm. single one of them, give me your new stuff. Yes, yes, yes. I love that so much. Yes, I want that to be real. Give me your new stuff. Hell yeah. Um, okay, and then finally, tell everybody where to find you, where to find your work. Uh, DrewComposed.com is the... Perfect. Is the place. And then like some Instagram or whatever handles are Drew Composed. I'm trying to consolidate that all. It's a slow process. That's great. I'm doing that too. In fact, the thing that I'm supposed to work on later today is changing my website domain name and I'm scared. Yeah. Did that a month ago. It was rough. Yeah. You're, I'm scared. You're going to be okay. <laughs> you're going to be you. okay. <laughs> well, Drew, I love you and I have loved you for so long. Likewise. And we don't talk that much, but you're such a dear person to me. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm just like thrilled that you agreed to talk with me for this 100th episode of my podcast. I'm so glad to be here and I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) Oh, thanks. I feel the same way. And let's, yeah, let's talk more and let's, let's make something together. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Let's say bye and then we can keep talking. Great. Bye listeners. 
Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.